This is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Happy Friday, everybody. What's going on? Welcome to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Andrew Patterson with you along with Michael Remus. Got a big show coming up discussing the continued amazing run of the Montreal Canadiens to the Stanley Cup final. Pascal Vincent moving on and much more. Jeff Hamilton from the Winnipeg Free Press will join us a little later on. And we will be joined by one of the few in the hockey media that believed in the Montreal Canadiens a long time ago. And that's Mike Kelly of the NHL Network. Uh, Mike, such a brilliant hockey mind, great friend of the program going to come on he was in the building last night we'll talk about the game the aftermath and of course the Habs chances going up looking to win four more and bring the cup back to Canada north of the border for the first time since 1993 big shout out to all of our great sponsors Little Brown Jug Boston Pizza Royal Sports Nick and Nicky DQ Group Not Autocorp PolicyMe.com Aikens Lake Assiniboia Downs and Cool Bet Canada of course, we've got some exciting news here in the city. 12-1 today. We go from red to orange. Uh, some of the restrictions loosened, and it should be a great, great weekend. But before that, let's get into it and welcome Remo back into the program. Reem, um, we do have some Jets news, but it's pretty hard to start this program not talking about the Montreal Canadiens getting it done last night, bouncing the Vegas Golden Knights, giving some pride to the North Division, and... Um, exciting certainly a fan base that was already cranked to the max but i think making a lot of believers from people from fan bases of other nhl teams watching what the habs have done through three rounds so far yes it's been incredible to watch and you know i was kind of feeling sour heading into this year's like ah montreal's gonna lose anyways i thought they'd you know i was saying you know give them a chance but i mean this has been amazing to watch they've shut down uh, the Leafs, they shut down the Jets' top offenses. And, I mean, what, the Vegas forwards had, I think, six goals in five, in six games or something? Five goals? It was a, whatever. They shut down all their top guys. I know they were showing on the broadcast, maybe Mark Stone was hurt either way. Not, he didn't have an impact on the series. And it's been insane to watch. Um, the young players, Cole Caulfield, incredible. Nick Suzuki and the defense and Carey Price. I, I'm kind of hopping on. I'm kind of cheering for the Habs here. This is an amazing story, and uh, we're, you know, we're seeing everyone kind of rally around. I'm not going to call them Canada's team. They're definitely not, but um, I'm, for the first time in 10 years, a Canadian team is in the Cup Final. Well, it's funny you bring that up. I mean, I have been clear. I don't buy into the Canada's team at any year ever because I really think that, you know, the like our Leaf fans pulling for the Habs normally? Well, no, not really. I mean... Or Jet fans pulling for the Leafs or the Habs if they do that? No. But there's something weird going on right now in that I think a lot of people, you know, the Habs have been such big underdogs in all of these series. The way they're playing has been so impressive. Um, and maybe it's the time that we're in. We're seeing these crowds outside. I mean, I think anyway, everyone's envious with that. And I think even people like myself that normally can't stand the Habs, you know, have a soft spot for this team right now, even though they bounce the Winnipeg Jets in four straight from it. Um, I think I'm still going into tonight's game, pulling for the Islanders, big Barry Trotz guy. And I've kind of been with them for a while. So that would be my vote. And I still, I think a lot of Canadian team fans of Canadian teams would still like their team to be the first one to end the Stanley cup drought for the country and bring it back. But I'm sort of with you, Remus. I think a lot of people that, you know, would have, you know, normally been vehemently anti-Habs 
um, have a soft spot for this team and are, you know, getting warmed up more and more to the idea that maybe we are seeing a magical run on par with 1993 right in front of our eyes as we get going. Yeah, you have a Hall of Fame goalie in Carey Price, a team that keeps winning these overtime games. It is very, uh, very familiar and a team that you know doesn't have a lot of star, you know, huge superstars, but they definitely have some very, uh, very good players. Maybe, um, you know, Cole Caulfield is, could be entering that year. I mean, he's been amazing, and he didn't even play the first two games, and since then they've, they've been incredible. Um, I mean, if you're a Jets fan, I think you like seeing... Ben Sherratt having so much success and you're like, man, I'm like, I think a lot of Jets fans looking at the state of the Jets defense, they're like, wow, how great would Ben Sherratt be if he were still on the Jets? <laughs> um, Yoel Armia having an impact on that fourth line. And and if you're a fan of, you know, Team Canada, the Stahl, you know, the Stahl-Perry combo, veteran combo, both guys, Stanley Cup playoff experience. And Corey Perry was on a team that went on an unexpected playoff run last year in Dallas. And Stahl, again, a cup champion with Carolina. I think you do need those veterans, but veterans who are making an impact. And Corey Perry has definitely made an impact on these playoffs. Eric Stahl as well. You know, those guys can still play. And I, I don't know, the Habs, they're, they're kind of, they're growing on me, yes. Yeah, they, I mean, listen, I'll, I'll be the first one to admit, growing on me too. And, you know, the weird thing is, I mean, this maybe goes to the disappointment of just the way the Winnipeg-Montreal series went that it wasn't really close. It wasn't really competitive. The Shifley injury compounded things for the Winnipeg Jets. And, you know, at, you know, again, it, they kind of went out quickly, quietly in, in four games. But there was, I mean, for a series that started with an incident that you would think would create so much bad blood and hatred between the teams, everyone just sort of moved on. There wasn't a lot of emotion in that series. And, you know, after the fact, Reem, you would think, like I can tell you after the St. Louis series in 2019, um, as disappointing as it was, there was a lot of people that couldn't stand St. Louis and, you know, had a lot of ill will towards them. There wasn't really any of that coming out of the Montreal-Winnipeg series, at least from the Winnipeg side. It was just disappointment. I'm sure some men of Montreal people still holding some ill will towards Mark Shifley. But beyond that, I mean, it wasn't the way you'd normally feel coming out of a playoff series. And I think that sort of set it up for a lot of people that normally wouldn't have been maybe on this Habs bandwagon to uh, to jump on. I think one thing, you know, Jets fans and Leafs fans are now looking back, um, you know, maybe wondering about this series. Leafs fans, you know, they were up 3-1 on this team and couldn't put them away. You're wondering, well, what, what could have what been? And I think for Jets fans, you know, we had said, even if Mark Shifley was in there, I mean, they looked so, so rough and they couldn't generate any offense. It's hard to, you know, even in the first game, um, I mean, it was a close game for sure. But, I mean, Montreal outplayed them. I think it was the most one of the most lopsided series in the last like 15 years. So, uh, you know, full credit to Montreal. And I think after the the Toronto series, you know, a lot of people weren't saying, oh, they're, you know, their top players, you know, Mitch Marner didn't show up. Well, I think it's pretty clear after three straight series of shutting down other teams' top offensive players, you know, a guy like Phil Deneau, um, I mean, he's one of the premier elite uh, shutdown centers in the league. Yeah, Dino, and it was pretty interesting to see, you know, Lekkinen get the goal from Calgary. Dino, what are the nice first goal. points of the series? Beautiful goal, um, because their job first and foremost was to shut down the top players on the Vegas Golden Knights, and they did that incredibly well. And that would have been enough for Montreal, I think. But you know, for them to to break out, get that goal the way they did, a beautiful OT winner, the celebration that followed afterwards. Uh, it was a special night for Montreal, yeah. and of course, they win the only trophy that they'd never won before. 
the Campbell Conference Bowl, albeit they didn't touch it, uh, but they did take a picture in front of it, Reem, and that'll be very strange for hockey history to see the Montreal Canadiens name on that Clarence mm-hmm. Campbell Bowl uh, in this strange year where we uh, switched up the divisions and didn't have the prior conferences. I'm still not sure how they decided which trophy went to which division. And it was even more bizarre seeing the Habs do the, <laughs> you know, the merch is always big when you win anything in professional sports. But to see Carey Price and Shea Weber wearing Stanley Cup semifinal champions t-shirts, um, those, might, those might be collector's items at one point, Reem, because uh, I don't think we'll ever see another Stanley Cup semifinal champions t-shirt. I'm glad that you mentioned that because I saw the t-shirt that said champions on them. I was like, what? And then it said semifinal <laughs> champions. And I was like, oh my God. That Yeah, I agree. That is a, a unique item. I like the hats they were rocking. Um, both that, you know... I, we always talk about, do they touch the trophy? Do they not? And I like when they touch it. Um, you know, you work so hard. I think you deserve. But I mean, taking a picture of that. I mean, if that's what they want to do, I'm not going to, like, have fake outrage here. Hear about it. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's the only trophy that Montreal hadn't won. And someone was asking, I think it was Larry in chat before the show started, um, you know, what teams have won both? And I looked it up. Uh, I think the Islanders and Flyers, you know, in the 70s and 80s. They handed it the Campbell. The divisions were different, so they did hand it the Campbell, and then they moved it to the Wales. And actually, you know, I was really disappointed at the beginning of the playoffs. They had put out a release saying they weren't going to uh, award the trophies, which made no sense. I mean, just pick one and give them out. We're going to not award the, the yeah. semifinal <laughs> trophies. And then I think before the series started, they came to their senses and put a release saying they would, ignoring the original release saying they wouldn't. I think David Alter was tweeting about that as well. So I wasn't the only person who was upset that they wouldn't award those trophies. I do like I do like when they go through the whole thing. Will they, won't they not touch it? I think they should. You got to celebrate the small victories. I mean, this is an incredible accomplishment. As you said, underdog every series. Nobody thought that they would be here, although we're going to have Mike Kelly on coming up, who was on the Habs back in January. And I know he's uh, into the deep advanced analytics. I was reading some articles that basically the Habs have been elite at five on five, but their problems have been with goaltending, which has been fixed, and special teams. Well, especially, I think Vegas was like three for like 40 or something in the power play. It was insane. And Montreal's scoring. We saw it against the Jets. They're scoring all these shorties. So, the Habs have killed 30 straight penalties. Yeah, it's Vegas ridiculous. was 0 for 15 on the, on the power play. Um, listen, Carey Price deserves a lot of credit. But, I mean, what this team's doing. And it's even more crazy when you think about their coach hasn't been on the bench for more than a week. I mean, Luke Richardson's there running the bench. I, there's so many wild things about this Montreal run that um, will be memorable and remind people of kind of what happened before in 1993. But we're still going to have a great series to go. If the Islanders win tonight, the Islanders will probably be a very slight favorite. Uh, if Tampa wins, Tampa will be a significant favorite. But that doesn't matter to Montreal. They've been an underdog in all three of their series. And Remo, I brought this up on the lock shop, which we'll have for folks uh, playing tonight around uh, 9 o'clock our time. You have to think, um, has there ever been a cup final in the modern era with 16 teams in the playoffs where the two Stanley Cup finalists were both underdogs in every series they played? Uh, Because that will be the case if the Islanders beat Tampa tonight. Uh, The Islanders were underdogs to Pittsburgh. They were underdogs to Boston. They're big underdogs to Tampa. And they'd get there. And, of course, we know the Montreal Canadiens, massive underdogs to Toronto, significant underdogs to the Jets, and a huge underdog to the Vegas Golden Knights and have won all the way there. 
Yeah, I'm not sure. I can pull up the finals history here, and I just want to make a point. It is the Stanley Cup final uh, per their graphic, and it's the no NBA, S, no S, no, and everybody. it's the NBA finals. Uh, you're going to see those uh, logos, those commemorative logos for the series floating around. Uh, that's the way they do it. I don't know about um, you know two underdog teams, but it does get you think is like the most unlike you know the last time you felt like about this team like oh my god like I can't believe. They're in the final. This is real. And I saw people tweeting about it. A lot of teams come to mind. The 06 Edmonton Oilers. I think the 04 Calgary Flames had a lot of momentum. Uh, you the mentioned- 92 yeah. Minnesota North Stars. That run until they uh, ran up against the Penguins buzzsaw with, what was it, John Casey and Nett. Um, That was a pretty wild run. Uh, but there have been, been a few. And we'll find out about that. I mean, as far as the historical significance of both of these teams run. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, of course, Tampa... We'll take on uh, the Islanders tonight, and we still will wait to see who the Montreal Canadiens Canadians opponent is. Shout out to everyone that's watching with us on Chattel. I see the gits just rolled in. Rob Mahoney and everyone. Um, Great to see everyone. Hope you're all getting ready for a great weekend, and uh, hopefully have some great plans. Actually, Owen and a few people asking about my shirt, Reem. Let me show this. Let me show this to you. This is, in fact, a Violent Gentleman shirt. Enforce Winnipeg. That's what we do here on Winnipeg Sports Talk every day. So uh, that was a gift I actually got from the Violent Gentleman guys in Anaheim uh, during the 2015 playoffs. And uh, funny enough, your favorite head of NHL player safety, George Peros, was part of that group that gave me the T-shirt. Uh, the Violent Gentleman guys were there. Peros was there. Team Solani was there. Uh, it was a thrill to be able to hang with those guys and talk to them. And uh, I got this. And I don't know why I pulled it out today. We don't have much enforcing to do on the program but um, we certainly will do that. So thanks to everyone on this. We will get to the latest on the Winnipeg Jets with Pascal Vincent's move to the Columbus Blue Jackets in a few minutes, but we're going to have Mike Kelly from the NHL Network join us in just a couple. Uh, Before we do that, want to uh, thank our great friends at policyme.com for coming on board with Winnipeg Sports Talk. Um, You might be wondering, I mean, there's a lot of things that you're excited to buy over the course of your life. And there's some things that you sort of plug your nose and aren't very excited. And life insurance is certainly one of those things. But it's incredibly necessary. If you have a family, uh, you've got people that depend on you, investments, a house. What happens if something happens to you? You're going to need to be able to pay those bills and you need to have you and your family covered. But let's make no mistake about it. Historically, it's been a pain in the ass. There's been a bunch of awkward meetings that you have to take place. It takes a long time. It's easy to, you know, kind of put it off. Um, But you and your family need this. And that's why Policy Me was created by Canadians for Canadians. Simple, easy, fast with the best rates and done all online. They've simplified all the unnecessary bells and whistles in the traditional life insurance process, resulting in a fully underwritten term life policy that's fast, easy, and affordable. On average, policy rates can be roughly 10 to 20% lower than other insurers in Canada. You'll get an instant decision and find out if you're approved for coverage right away, as well as if you even need it, instead of waiting weeks with, with most other companies. And most people don't require a medical exam. And the bottom line is this, it's simple, it's all online, uh, it's not uncomfortable, and what traditionally took weeks and confusing paperwork and insurance jargon is now done in around 15 minutes through an easy-to-understand application. Don't wait any longer, folks. You'll appreciate the peace of mind, and your family will too. Go to policyme.com, fill out the application, simple, fast, easy, all online, 
and uh, and move on with a very important purchase for you and your family. And when you're at policyme.com and they ask you how you heard about them, make sure you click on podcast and uh, Winnipeg Sports Talk if there is an option. Um, also want to shout out to Royal Sports. Everything opening up again, we should be getting back to soccer, baseball, all the sports that you and your kids are be playing. And um, listen, you can take care of everything for the summer with one visit to Royal Sports, whether you're getting ready to go camping with the crew. They've got that. You want to get on a bike, an incredible selection of bikes there. Soccer, outdoor sports, of course, the disc golf that I've been having so much fun with. It's all there. And while you're there, you can get ready to support your favorite Euro team, in the round of 16 that begins tomorrow with their incredible selection of merchandise. Pop by Royal Sports, 650 Rally EK, 750 Pemina Highway. And don't forget, they've got that Instagram promotion as well that your kids might be into um, for their vaccination. Find out more on their Instagram at Royal Sports Pemina or at King Skatestone Surf, which is at Kings underscore SSS. And with the weather being nice and people being back outside, not only is it blizzard weather, uh, but it might be a great time to get ready for that first family gathering with a DQ ice cream cake. You can order one in advance from Nick and Nikki DQ by um, simply going on their Instagram at DQ Manitoba. But pop by any of the four Nick and Nikki DQs with the family this weekend. DQ Niverville, DQ Northgate, DQ at Polo Park, and of course, DQ at St. Anne's. Big thanks to Nick and Nikki for their great support of Winnipeg Sports Talk. All right, Jeff Hamilton's going to join us a little bit later on, but really looking forward to this next conversation because uh, one of the early adopters of the Montreal Canadiens, one Mike Kelly of the NHL Network, joins us now on the program. Mike, how you doing? Great to have you on the program. Hey, thanks for having me back. Um, yeah, absolute pleasure. It's uh, Everything's going well. Um, the city of Montreal is obviously going a little too crazy sometimes. They have a tendency to do that, when, even when things go right. But uh, you know what? Any Canadian hockey market, uh, Winnipeg, you know, a couple of years ago, get into a conference final. Uh, when you get that kind of buzz going late in the playoffs, it's great in every Canadian market. So it's uh, it's good to see it happening in another one. Yeah, you got it. Hey, shout out to Nick. DQ Nick is in here. Yeah, go get your DQ this weekend. Hit one of the four spots and grab a cake too. Um, you were there last night. I mean, before we talk about the Habs and this run and how they got there, um, what was it like being in the building? What was it like being around the building both before and after? I mean, it really did seem like a special night. Of course, being a national holiday in Montreal and Quebec as yeah. well. Well, yeah, St. Jean-Baptiste Day in Quebec, it's a big deal here. Um, uh, I'm not born and raised or anything, so I didn't grow up with it. But you know, my wife's French-Canadian, and, and she's told me all about it. And a lot of people like to celebrate that day uh, all day long. So you knew that by the time the puck dropped, uh, people were going to be in a festive mood. And I got to the rink at about 3 o'clock. I had some some early work to do. And there were already people lined up by the garage where the Canadians drive in. It's five hours before puck drop. A couple hours before puck drop, there are thousands of people out there. Um, so the the whole scene around the building was pretty wild. And, you know, in the building, again, still just 3,500 people. And I, I think Montreal, they, they, the Canadians have done a great job of making it feel as full as, as you possibly can. They've got lights on all the empty seats. So um, you see the fans, you see the lights going. Um, it does, you know, have a, a really good atmosphere considering there's only 3,500 people in the building. And then, um, yeah, when, when that goal went in, when Lekkonen scored, the place went absolutely nuts. Um, we, you know, shoot our stuff at the end of the game and then go outside and there's people everywhere. There's riot police everywhere. Um, 
I tried stupidly to get an Uber at the, like the condo right beside <laughs> the Bell Center, and like there's no cars coming in in that gauntlet of of chaos. So I'm walking like as far as I can away from the building, just trying to find a random address. I end up probably 20 minutes away from the building at a dentist office. I just plug that number in and, and get an Uber to come home. Um, and then it, it seemed kind of okay when I left, which was probably about an hour after the game ended. Um, but they didn't let people out of the building right away. They had to clear out all these thousands of people who were outside the big building to begin with first. And then people were leaving. So there were still fans there when I was leaving um, about an hour after the game. And by the time I got home, about one in the morning, uh, I started seeing some videos of like, okay, there's cop cars getting flipped over and things are getting pretty crazy, um, which, you know, is unfortunate, but that was it. It, it is. You kind of had to expect that, especially if they won, it was going to be, um, it was going to be quite the celebration. And it did seem that was always a few idiots in the crowd, but overall, yeah. I mean, this has been an incredibly special run and you know, it dates back to, let's go back. I mean, people, if you haven't been already following Mike, you should be at Mike Kelly NHL. Your pinned tweet is from early in January, talking about how impressed you were with the Montreal Canadiens. Why did you feel that way at that time? And did your confidence in that group diminish through the regular season, especially an end to the season where they, like the Jets, mm. did not look like Stanley Cup contenders in the final month of the regular season? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, that tweet that I pinned there was it was actually from a season preview show. Uh, it was before the season started. We didn't even know if there would officially be a North Division at that point, although that was the rumor. So the idea was kind of, if there's a North Division, what do you think might happen? And, and I gave reasons why I thought Montreal could win that division. Um, because I saw... You know, as I mentioned in the video, the different elements as to why a good forward group, a good top four on defense, Carey Price, his regular seasons have been okay, but his playoffs were really good last year. If he could do his thing, if enough went right for them, I thought, yeah, this is a team that could win that division. And then, you know, they went on to add Corey Perry and and Eric Stahl and and other pieces. And you give Mark Bergevin a ton of credit. Ten games into the season, I thought I was I was sounding pretty smart because Montreal was seven one and two. They were playing fast. They were scoring a ton of goals, and then it went off a cliff. And the coach got fired. And they they had glimmers of you know getting back to that kind of play, um, but they were so inconsistent for the rest of the year that by the time the playoffs rolled around, they lost. They didn't win any of their last five games going into the playoffs. And you know what should have been a slam dunk. You know Calgary kind of hung around for a bit. Um, but they get in and I picked them to beat Toronto in the first round. I wasn't overly confident, but I knew they would be a matchup problem for the Maple Leafs, just given the way Montreal plays and given the lessons that I still don't think Toronto has learned. And for me going into the playoffs with Toronto, it was two things. Number one, are you going to address the roster the way in a similar way that Tampa did to acquire the kind of players that you might need to win? But number two, are you going to play differently and that's a lesson tampa bay learned after losing to columbus in a sweep and then going on to win a stanley cup toronto did the first thing they didn't do the second thing so they're out and montreal did give them those matchup issues um you know i honestly thought winnipeg kind of a toss-up i I didn't really know which way it would go and then shifley gets suspended and you know montreal just obliterated the jets like i I don't think it would have mattered if shifley was in the lineup they obliterated them so now you're off to Vegas. And again, I see Vegas, some matchup problems. Vegas is a team that kind of does not win net front battles at either end of the ice. Montreal does that really well. Thought it would be a competitive series. Wouldn't shock me if either team wins. And Montreal wins in six games. Now they're off to the cup final. 
Mike Kelly with us from NHL Network discussing the Habs run to the Stanley Cup final. Um, well, let's focus in on last night's game for a minute. Um, you know, you, you see that there was, there was some ebbs and flows in the last couple games. And, you know, Carey Price has made a couple big saves. But it really did seem like from the moment that Marc-Andre Fleury had that incredible gaffe in game number three, that the Habs were the better team in all games for the rest of the season. Um, did you feel that that was their game last night, or was that one of those coin tosses? Because the last couple that were heavily, heavily in Montreal's favor. Um, and, of course, Vegas did have a push, tied the game up, but we all know what happened in OT. Yeah, you know what? It's I think to the gap, obviously, if that, if that doesn't happen, this could be totally different. There's no question about it, just given the timing of it and everything. But... Even earlier in that game, Eric Stahl had a gaffe that was just as bad. He, he passed a puck right in front of the net to, I think it was Nick Waugh who, who scored. Um, couldn't have been a better pass. So that's 1-1 one, one on those. Um, you know, and then I felt that in game six, I, I thought Montreal had a good start. Um, pretty even kind of first 20 minutes. I thought the last 40 trended towards Vegas. Um, and Vegas had a couple of good chances in overtime as well. And Montreal, you know, counterattack off a D zone face off and they score a goal. It's what they do so well. Um, so I think for the most part, the series was pretty even. I do think in games five and games four, Montreal was the better team. I thought in game three, I'm starting to get confused here, but I believe Montreal won game three. Yeah. in overtime, uh, I thought Vegas was the better team in that. Game. Oh, the, clearly they were. Yeah. And then four and five to me, clearly Montreal was to your point. And six, I thought it was pretty even. And I might have even trended it a bit towards Vegas. Um, but, you know, you, you think about William Carlson with about five and a half minutes left in the second period. He had that one-timer in the slot, Carey Price, unbelievable save. Um, Riley Smith had a chance off the rush a few minutes later. Great save by Price. Price had to make a great save on a point shot right before the overtime goal. So there were some timely saves there. But, yeah, it's you can obviously look to the flurry gaff and um, – had Vegas won that game, as I think they would be expected to, we could be talking about a totally different series. Robin Leonard probably doesn't see the net. He wasn't the problem at all. I mean, you get five goals from your forward group in six games. No matter what the goalies are doing, the goalies are fine. Well, you know, and you bring up the lack of scoring. I mean, the power play, I mean, the Habs penalty killing is all world. I think 30 straight right now. And that'll yeah. win you. I mean, that's you can't even underestimate how important that has been. But let's talk about the forward scoring, because it was a huge topic here in Winnipeg in the aftermath, just the, the incredible disappointment of how that series went, how quickly the team was out and how little anybody up front did anything. It's been interesting talking to people here on the program that, you know, the disappointment is still there. Um, but maybe it doesn't look as bad anymore with what they were able to do to Vegas, the Vegas Golden Knights, who had just, you know, won four straight against the Colorado Avalanche. I mean, what is it that Montreal is doing, Mike, from a, a stylistic or a defensive um, standpoint that has just been so incredibly effective in shutting down some pretty prolific scores on teams that they played over these three rounds? Yeah, it's crazy to think that the captains of Montreal's opposing teams don't have a point. And John Tavares only played the one game, right? So that's that's a wash. Um, Blake Wheeler didn't have a point. Mark Stone didn't have a point. That's that's ten games, and and these are leaders on teams. And when they're not going, you, we saw how frustrated Mark Stone got, slamming his stick and had a bad turnover that led to a goal. Um, if if you're not careful, that can kind of permeate through the lineup. So. What are they doing? They manage the puck really well. 
And I talk about puck management all the time. I think it's the most important thing in the playoffs and more than puck possession, more than so many other things. And, you know, again, I'll go back to Toronto and that's the thing they didn't get. That's the thing that, that Tampa Bay learned. Tampa Bay did not manage the puck well in that sweep to Columbus a few years ago and they lost. They lost in a sweep. And to a man in that lineup, not just the Barkley Goodrows and the Blake Coleman's, but the Kucherovs and the Stamkos, everybody, they understood if there's not a play, I'm not going to try to force one. And I don't think Toronto gets that still. That's, you know, looking at Mitch Marner on the turnover he had trying to beat three guys on Brendan Gallagher's opening goal of Game 7. So Montreal takes advantage of teams that don't manage the puck well because they don't chase the game. They defend. They are patient. They execute. They're, for, they're high forwards, always in good position. Um, their they're defense, they, they don't let uh, attacking players to the inside very often. They don't leave their game and they execute really well. And that makes it hard because if you're another team and you get behind, you have to start pressing. It's just, you know, a mistake happens, counterpunch. And, and now Montreal's got guys that can finish. You got Toffoli, you got Anderson, you've got Caulfield, you got Suzuki. Guys that have come into the mix that Montreal in a few years past didn't have. They get good chances. They struggled a little bit to finish. So it's for me, it's they have a championship recipe right now. They have the best goalie on the planet currently um, in the way that he's playing. They have a defense that's physical and doesn't let you on the inside. Defends really well. And they have scoring on all four lines. They can play in really any situation and you know don't get caught um, on the wrong side of the puck too often. You know, you mentioned scoring from all four lines, and you know we talked about this a little earlier this week. I mean, Tampa very deep, top to bottom. Vegas was like that as well. And then you know, Montreal and the Islanders are fascinating teams in that you know they have some very good players. And I mean, Matt Barzell's probably a borderline real star in this league, but you don't have certainly what Tampa has, or I mean, I think most people would say even what Winnipeg has up front. But we've seen what they have been able to do. Um, the fourth line from the Islanders plays significant minutes and important points of time. I mean, do you think that this, how will this resonate within NHL front offices, knowing the pressure to get star players, the cost that comes along with them and what lines like the Habs third and fourth line, the Islanders third and fourth lines have been able to do at playoff time at the cost that they're making in a cap world. Well, look, it's for better or worse, it's kind of a copycat league, right? So if you're watching the Islanders and the Canadians having success, um, if, if the Islanders win, you know, this next game, then they go to the cup final. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, some teams are just built differently, right? There's There are teams that are kind of committed to what they have in terms of the cap, and they're not moving these superstar players. Um, that's kind of what they're going to be. And it's not to say that you can't be successful that way. Um you know, Tampa Bay, yes, they have a lot of star players and they've had some uh, assistance with the cap this year and, and how things worked out for them. Obviously, all things being equal next year, they won't be able to, to keep everybody and do all the same things. But the way that the Islanders are built and play and the way the Canadians are built and play is the way that I think. It's, it's how I would approach it if it were up to me and people can have different opinions and and, and that's fine. But um, you've got. You just think about the, the 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 fourth line for Montreal in that Vegas series. It was one of their best. Armia and and Stahl and Corey Perry. Um, you know, the third line with, with Anderson and Kokaniemi. Um 
you got Toffoli with Suzuki and uh, and Caulfield. And, and in the top line, you know, it was their first point of the series in the overtime goal, Lekin and Deneau and Gallagher. But they just shut everybody else down. Um, so that's a pretty good recipe. So that that's how I would do it. Um, that's, that's, you know, what, so what do you do if you draft um, a Jack Eichel or an Austin Matthews or, uh, you know, Nathan McKinnon? Yeah, you keep them and you sign you them. You keep them and you pay them. <laughs> Um, so it's not the same for everybody. I don't think you can just go out and be these teams now that they're having success, but these are the teams that I like and, and that I think can be successful often that are kind of greater than some of their parts. Uh, coaching is always a big topic, especially in Canadian markets. And, you know, I thought Paul Maurice, and, and maybe this gets back to puck management, to be honest with you, and was something I talked a lot about coming out of the Edmonton series that it seemed like, you know, the Jets, you know, just managed the puck much better. I mean, they, they made the right pass. They got it out of their zone. They made the plays that kept them in games and gave them a chance to win. The puck management was completely different against Montreal. And I'd imagine Montreal has a big, big part of that. And we saw it in this round. How much of that is the style of play? And can you quantify what coaching has done for the Montreal Canadiens? And Because, I mean, the bizarre thing about this is that their head coach hasn't even been on the bench for more than a week <laughs> right now, Mike. I mean, how do you come in on all of that? Yeah, that's a fascinating part of it, right? I, I got asked when um, Dominic Ducharme had to miss the first game, you know, how much will this affect Montreal? And it, look, I, I never played in the league. I, I, I can't offer the perspective some other people can, but my thought was in a game, I think it's fine. You, you've got your game plan. You're ready that day anyways. You go out and you're going to do what you're going to do. Over time, yeah, you, you wonder if that's going to be an issue. And now it's going to be two weeks that, that'll be missed, but... I mean, he's still involved in the dialogue, and Luke Richardson, I think, has shown he's fine in that position. Um, Montreal, they're eleven and two since you know dating back to the Toronto series. They've been they've been playing terrific hockey. Um, in terms of the puck management and what Montreal does, yeah, they, they they're on the walls. They've got two guys on you. Even one on one battles, they win. Um, they're just kind of relentless. And again, they don't. They don't force plays. They'll dump pucks in. Uh, they had a couple power play entries on a power play last night uh, that weren't great. So Jeff Petrie comes in and he just hammers it in. Go win a battle. Um, and they'll do that. So they, I, I don't even think it's safe hockey they play. I wouldn't say that. It's just, it's responsible. Um, and again, I look back to Tampa Bay, a very skilled team, but a team that managed the puck really well last year. I go back to St. Louis when they won the Stanley Cup. They dump pucks often. Um, had a good retrieval plan and they neutral zone turnovers. They just don't happen. So that, that's a big thing. And I, I think Montreal understands that. And like I said, they're the Islanders have, have known that forever. Barry Trotz preaches that all the time. So I'm not surprised to see them getting to where they get to every year. I, I never underestimate that team for those reasons. Mike, one of the other incredible stories uh, when it comes to Montreal is the fact that they began the playoffs playing the Leafs and falling down three, one, with Cole Caulfield in the press box and Kakaniemi in the press box. And, you know, again, at the same time, if you're giving credit to the coaching, you may have to wonder what the heck they were thinking at the start of that series. But, um, you know, it is, and certainly it's a big topic here in Winnipeg. I mean, Vili Hanelin never got into the playoffs, despite the fact that they looked like, it sure looked like they needed someone that could move the puck a little bit better. Um, they obviously figured they needed to score some goals and thought that these kids could do it, and they gave them a shot. And, well, we've seen what's happened since then. Does this, does what's happening with Montreal, how do you think that's resonating within front offices and other coaches about giving young players significant opportunity in times like this when, 
you know, the, the book on it in the past has been, you know, you kind of go with experience and guys that have been there before in situations like the playoffs, especially at this point. Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's easy to look back now and say, wow, you know, what a crazy decision to bench Caulfield and Kokaniemi the first two games. Look how good they are. We don't know what would happen if they played them in those two games on the road. I don't know. I think they'd be fine. I was critical of the decision at the time. Um, but you just don't know, right? You, uh, maybe the coaching staff would tell you they're doing what they're doing now because we gave them a couple games to watch and we got them back in at home to start the playoffs. And yeah, I guess you could argue it both ways. But um, look, Kokaniemi is not Caulfield and Caulfield's not Hanela and none of these guys are the same, right? So I think you probably have to look at your room. Uh, where are you slotting these guys? Um, Montreal's got such great veteran leadership on that team. Guys that have been around forever that have won significant uh, either tournaments or Stanley Cups, Weber and Price and Perry and Stahl, and it goes on and on. That, you know, and, and again, you know your players better than anybody that, that you assume that's the best course for them. And you can't criticize what Montreal's coaches have done because it's all worked. So, um, even though I, I thought it was crazy to sit Cole Caulfield because all he's ever done is score goals, no matter what situation he's been put in. It's worked. So, um, you know, again, I think it's situational where you got to look at everybody. Everybody's different. Every room is different. Every team's different. Every role is different. So I wouldn't blanket it and say, yeah, get the the handlers of the world in there. Get all these young kids in there. Um, But, hey, I I say put your best players in. That's what I said when they were the two guys were benched at the start of the playoffs. Just put your best players in. (laughs) <laughs> see what happens once you got your horses in the lineup um lots of people in the chat talking about what we were hitting before with the 10 million dollar players and the narrative of the fact of the matter is that there with the exception of Carey price who is a goaltender um there has never been a player making 10 million dollars to even win a playoff series and i realize those big salaries are more recent over the course of the last five six years but how much truth there is that to, to that? I mean, if you're a general manager right now, Mike, I mean, like to your point, I mean, if you have Austin Matthews, you're signing him and you're going to do it. But w- what are we learning about the way teams are put together, especially going into a free agent market with a flat cap where the what's been happening is the middle and lower class have really been getting squeezed as the yeah. focus has been on these big stars. I mean, how, how do you see what we've, Seen happen so far, even taking Carey Price out because it is somewhat of a, a unique situation. He is a goaltender. I mean, for putting together rosters, what sort of pressure is it being on in this flat cap having these big stars? And how problematic is that for a team like, for instance, Toronto, who all things being considered, I thought Kyle Dubas did a pretty good job of surrounding those star players with enough talent to actually win some rounds. It's, that's a terrific question. I, nobody saw the flat cap coming, right? So I, I think he, if you're a team that's like a that, you're, expect, you're expecting it to go up, you know, uh, a little bit, a little bit each year, and it doesn't. So again, you're responsible in the end, but but nobody could have seen that coming. Um, I've done a lot of research, even recently, into what wins in the playoffs. I'm really trying to understand if there's a formula here from all the data that I look at. And there are things that stand out. You know, there's some things that are noisy. There's some things that I think have some merit. But there's not a clear, oh, yeah, do these three things or have these, you know, this type of lineup and you're golden every year. It just, it doesn't exist. Not that I can find anyways. So I don't think it's it's impossible to win a playoff series or go far in the playoffs if you have a $10 million player. Um, but like I said before, I'm a bigger believer in balance throughout the lineup, and that's how I would approach it. Um 
but you know, you, you mentioned Toronto and, and they've got a couple of guys, you know, Marner Matthews making 10 and, and Tavares is over 10 and um, you know, Nylander is around seven and all that. It just such a large allocation of your money uh, to a handful of players. It's going to make it tougher each year now going forward because you are probably going to lose Zach Hyman, um, who is a guy that plays above his, his money and above his weight. And you're probably going to lose Kerfoot or Dermot in the expansion draft. Um, Simmons, Thornton, will they be back? I don't know. Uh, what you need in the end that just shows up time and again is value um, for production. And you can get that with RFAs. And it's not a thing that you can go and actively do. It just kind of happens at the right time. Um, Cole Caulfield, the impact he's having. Nick Suzuki, the impact he's having. If these guys were five, six, seven years into their career, they'd be getting paid a lot more money. Your team would look different. So that kind of timing is a part of it. Toronto example, you get Jason Spezza on a league minimum deal. That's great value for the kind of production that he brings. The more of those you can do, whether it's entry-level deals or um, veteran contracts, what have you, the easier it'll be to figure the rest of it out. But yeah, it's there's no question when you've got big anchor contracts, it, it makes everything that you do around you harder. And with the flat cap, everything going forward just becomes harder. Well, and that was going to be the case for guys in the middle and lower class of free agency anyways. But I will say that I think that the performances of Montreal and especially the performances of the Islanders um, will help out in a big way. Some of those guys that maybe we're going to get squeezed down to the league minimum. There might be some teams that sort of reevaluate the priority of getting guys in those bottom six that can that can do some of the things we're seeing in these playoff teams right now. And that might help the guys get a few more bucks. Um, but again, the money is so scarce, especially with some teams already yeah. over the cap before they even go in like Tampa. I mean, they're not adding anything. They're figuring out a way to get under the cap going forward. It's going to be a fascinating offseason market when it comes to free agency, especially coming out of an expansion draft with everything that goes along with a new team coming into the league. Yeah, no question. And there's some big names out there too, right? So um, it, it will be for sure. Um, you know, Dougie Hamilton. And under normal circumstances, what would this guy be pulling in? It'd be a big number. Um, you know, it sounds like Carolina and, and Hamilton are pretty far apart, and he made test free agency. You know, Philip Deneau. Um, what do you pay a guy who I think probably on a star studded team would be your perfect third line center? And has produced, you know, almost nothing offensively. I think he's just got three assists in the playoffs. But I can tell you the job that he did against Matthews, the job that he did against the Jets' top players, uh, whether it's Wheeler and Connor and Ehlers as Shifley was out, the job he did against Mark Stone in the top line. A lot of these guys had no points. Um, what do you pay a guy like that? I, I'd Anything under six? Here's your check. Please come to my team. Um no problem at all. That, that's me. But it, it'll be definitely interesting for sure. Oh, Mike, this has been so much fun. Hey, can't uh, have you on without talking about Game 7 tonight. Uh, Islanders and you again. We've talked before about the Habs. You've been one of the guys that has been in on the Islanders for a long time, uh, starting with Barry Trotz and what he does. From There's some similarities you can make between Montreal and New York, which would be such a fascinating series. Um, I picked the Islanders to win Game 6. I figured that yeah. is a team that is absolutely built to put an 8 nothing embarrassment like happened in Game 5 behind them. 
less confident tonight, but I certainly do think this will be a close game um, and will probably be up for grabs in the third period. Who knows? Maybe we'll even get overtime. Uh, just thoughts on this series so far and the challenge for the Islanders to do what most people thought was impossible tonight in game seven. Yeah, well, you look at the last two years in the playoffs, it has been impossible. Nobody's beat Tampa Bay twice in a row, uh, right? And Vasilevsky's put up crazy numbers yeah. after losses. And uh, the last time they were in Tampa, it was 8 nothing. And I think you make a great point, though, about a team being able to park it. You know, the Islanders can park it. And, you know, Barry Trotz is a great guy. I, I probably have Trotz and Cooper easy in my top five coaches, maybe both top three. Um, they do such a great job. I'm with you. I, I think it'll be a close game. Um, it won't surprise me if either team wins. I probably would lean a little more towards Tampa. I think they they played well there. And um, Kucherov, whether he plays or not, that's a huge thing, right? He's such a big part of the power play. We even saw late in the last game when Palat was taking a spot on that side, it, it just wasn't the same. You know, missed past a point in the middle. Um, he, he's such a big part of a power play that's forty percent they lean on. So, yeah, I, I think the Islanders can push Tampa at five on five, no question. Um, Will Cooch be in? Will the power play be hot? Um, I think it's going to be a great game, a close game. And for all the people out there saying that, oh, Islanders-Canadians would be a terrible series, I think Islanders-Canadians would be the better series if you're just a casual fan that wants to watch you know, entertaining hockey. Tampa Bay um, would play it a little different, I think, against Montreal. And I think it would actually be a little more open with the Islanders in Montreal. Obviously, they both like to defend. Um, they both don't jump into mistakes at all, but they counterpunch really well. Uh, I actually think that would be a pretty good series if we see it. And then think about the history, right? Like the Habs and all their cups and back to 93 and the Islanders and all their cups and back to the 80s. And, um, you know, they the played Centers. in the conference final in 93, too. I mean, we still That's remember right. David Volick bouncing the Penguins. And I mean, that was the craziest year, too, because it was the that was divisional playoffs back in 93. And. The four conference finalists were all third place teams in their division. They were they were wow. they won the three two and then they won the three one. So you had the, uh, the the Leafs, Habs, Kings, and Islanders. And of course, the Habs and Kings ended up meeting in the final, and the Montreal won. But we were trying to think of this, Mike, and I mean, this is a I mean probably an impossible question to answer off the top of your head. But let's just assume for a second that the Islanders can get it done tonight. We would have two Stanley Cup finalists that were significant underdogs in every single one of their series, getting all the way to the final. Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to. I went through a number. I'm trying to think about these paths and take a lot of research to figure it out. But I mean, sometimes you'll see a team get hot and win a couple. I I can't remember a situation where two teams were underdogs every series out and potentially are playing for the Stanley Cup. Well, I think they've been underdogs in every game they've played, right? On in terms of betting lines in the playoffs. Um Habs was, were not in game four, but yeah, they were in the first okay. three against Winnipeg and uh the Islanders they got one. There was a couple one, but yeah, essentially they've been yeah, if listen, if you were just putting uh, the same bet on the Habs and Islanders every night, you'd be uh, you'd be sitting pretty. You'd be ready to go on a trip when you could travel again. Let's just say that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I work in Montreal and there's some people that uh, I work with who've grown up here, obviously, as Canadians fans and all that. And in the Toronto series, I think I started putting a bit of money on Toronto when they were ahead and Montreal would win and Montreal would win. And they just say, OK, you got to bet on Toronto again. It's like the, you got to please the hockey gods. So <laughs> for them, I've been putting a bit of money against Montreal basically all the way through just to kind of give them that good karma. 
and they love it. They're very thankful. But uh, I think my kids go into community college now at best as a result. <laughs> but uh, no, it, it's it'd be crazy two significant underdogs. But like, if Tampa wins the cup, it's back to back cups, and there, there's great stories there. And, and I think that's great. Uh, Pat Maroon would be a third year in a row. It'd be it, a lot of cool stories there. If the Islanders win, that fan base is so insane. The, the Coliseum, the history, it's great. And if Montreal wins, we don't even need to explain that. So I don't think you can lose at this point. There's uh, there's a lot of great angles going in. Yeah, well, help. we got Game 7 tonight, which should be amazing. And uh, Game 1 of the Cup Final on Monday night. We'll get ready. Mike, thanks so much for doing this. We always appreciate your time. And uh, enjoy the Cup Final. And hopefully we can uh, uh, maybe have another chat at some point in and around the expansion draft or before free agency. Because I know uh, you and the gang on the NHL Network with a lot of great content on that. Hey, happy to do it. Uh, always uh, love chatting with you, even going back years and everything. And glad to see uh, the success you're having. And uh, I see all the clips and everything. So uh, thanks for having me on and happy to do it again. Our pleasure, Mike. You be well. Enjoy the cup final. We'll talk soon. There he is, Mike Kelly. Uh, if you're not following Mike already, you're making a mistake. Get on that at Mike Kelly NHL. And you can see all of his work uh, as well. Reporting on the cup final for NHL Network. Got Jeff Hamilton coming up in just a second. Big shout out to our good friends at Not Auto Corp at Waverly and McGillivray for their great support of Winnipeg Sports Talk. Why not get into the vehicle of your dreams at a great price with the help of the Not team? And I got to tell you, something pretty cool coming up at Not as well. They're looking forward to launching the Car Lab. It's a major service department expansion and a new custom vinyl graphics wrap division for business and personal vehicles to customize rims, accessories, vinyl, second skin color changes, etc. It's all at the Winnipeg Car Lab. Uh, you can stop by on the long weekend, see some exciting changes, or anytime out at Waverly and McGilvery. And uh, you can find out more on this at not.ca. But a uh, big shout out to Trev and the gang at Not. Hope they have a great long weekend. And if you are thinking about consigning your vehicle as well, talk to them about getting maximum value for your vehicle as you move into a new one. And uh, hey, you know what? We're back, folks. Patios are open tomorrow. It's time for some summer lager, a few Hefeweizens. Um, maybe you've already done your weekend order at littlebrownjug.ca great move that's called being proactive people um but i know you're going to want to go out you're going to take advantage of this weather and take advantage of the opportunity to maybe see a friend or two and no better place to do that than at little brown jug the tap room and the patio is going to be open as per the guidelines beginning tomorrow they'll be open from noon until 10 p.m remus and i went there a few weeks back just before the lockdown happened just an awesome spot really cool building they've got all the beers you can buy there merchandise as well but a great spot to enjoy some amazing summer loggers or 1919 so pop by there 336 william avenue at little brown jug and tell them your friends at winnipeg sports talk sent you and of course, it's going to be a great weekend for golf as well. Got to give a shout out to my guy, Bubba Watson, who is leading the Travelers right now. He's at eight under par, along with Taylor Gooch. Bubba, three-time champion, was 49 to one going in. We hit that on the lock shop, so we'll be paying close attention to that. Of course, when you think golf in Winnipeg, think Breezy Bend Country Club. 
Get on the waiting list for next year's golf season. Incredible home for you and your family with a great junior program, ladies programs, men's leagues, all there at one spot and the best patio in the city for that 19th hole and maybe a few little brown jugs. And speaking of little brown jug and breezy bend, starting on Monday, we're going to have a social media contest for a great prize, including a round out of breezy for you and some friends. Some great stuff from little brown jug, including some really cool merchandise. So be sure to be with us and pay attention to our social feeds on Monday. We'll be giving that away. We'll get our entries in and probably do a big marble race at the end of Wednesday's show heading into Canada Day. So big thanks to Breezy Ben. Find them at breezyben.ca. And of course, Little Brown Jug. We'll get that going on Monday. All right. Lots to talk about when it comes to the cup final, the upcoming CFL season, and some moves within the Jets organization. So let's get right to it on a Friday afternoon with our good friend Jeff Hamilton from the Winnipeg Free Press. Hammer, what's up? How are you doing, man? How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. I can't wait for tomorrow. I can't wait to actually be able to go out, maybe see some people. We're neighbors now, but of course, we haven't been able to gather at all. So uh, uh, there might be a few of these in our future, uh, potentially on a patio at some point. But that's great. How's the move in? Is it feeling like home now? You got everything settled? uh, Settled? Yeah, a little bit, like, like, like any typical, uh, you know, guy in his mid thirties, uh, taking a little bit more time than probably expected. But um, you know, I shifted my computer over away from the wallpaper and more towards the mid-century modern uh, dressers I picked up last week. It's in the background, so uh, you know what, man, I'm with you in the sense that I'm, you know, I think it's long overdue the the, the opportunity to go out and, and hang with friends and and you know, so there's certainly an excitement on the horizon here. I got my uh, second shot uh, last Sunday. I I was going to tweet out Mr. Invincible, um, but didn't want to didn't want to jinx myself. But ultimately, I got absolutely crushed for two days. And and I woke up that third day feeling grateful for feeling good. So compound that with the the less the the lowering of restrictions. And uh, yeah, man, it's a good time to be alive. It's go time. It's go time tomorrow. Again, follow the rules. Wear your masks inside. We can get together outside. The patios will be going. I know my friends uh, over at the beer can are opening that up on the weekend. Little brown jug. Our Boston pizza patios will be open. And a lot of spots have taken this time to get ready for what's to come, knowing the focus on outdoor dinings with large new patios, picnic tables. So um, the city's going to turn into one big beer garden, I think, and uh, I'm here for it. Um, Let's get down to business, though. Listen, we'll talk about the the cup final um, in a moment, as well as the CFL. We sort of got into this Habs topic, obviously, right off the top. But the big story that happened when it, as it relates to the Winnipeg Jets uh, was at the end of our show yesterday, not too long afterwards, we got news that Pascal Vincent is uh, moving on from the Jets to the Columbus Blue Jackets as an assistant coach. Um, great opportunity for Pascal, you know, continue. I mean, I think he's been a guy with the success that he's had in junior. Now, of course, you know, with the Manitoba Moose as that head coach, um, you know, a guy that's, you know, kind of taking a path to the National Hockey League. Uh, but were you surprised he left the organization? I think a lot of people had thought that at some point the natural progression with the way that True North works was that Pascal would be the next guy at some point after Paul Maurice. Was this a little bit of impatience considering Maurice, uh, you know, could be here for a long time based on the relationship he has with the general manager and ownership? Or um, was this just a great opportunity for Pascal? And then we'll get to where the team goes from here now that he's gone. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's probably a bit of everything, right? I mean, you can say it's impatience or you can say it's opportunity. I think those are probably both. No one wants to be patient for opportunity. And, um, you know, he, as we know, Pascal went was an assistant coach with the Winnipeg Jets. So whether or not he views being on their staff, which I don't which I think is pretty as as safe as as Paul Maurice is, as we've seen, you know, some of those guys there you know, Charlie Huddy's been here longer than Paul Maurice, um, you know, they're pretty safe. So I think if you're looking at what, you know, your next step is or what your next opportunity is, I mean, let's face it, anyone who's in the AHL, whether you're a player or a coach is looking to get back to the NHL. Now I don't view Pascal's movement from assistant coach to head coach with the moose as a, as a, um, you know, as a, you know, drop in, in whatever, in, in, in standing or whatever, a demotion, no. if you will. Um, he did a very, he was a very, very important piece of the Jets in that he was, you know, I think he doesn't get as much, um, you know, as much maybe, uh, maybe much credit for what we've seen with the younger players, right? And what we've seen when players make those jumps, whether it's a Jansen Harkins or Kyle Connor or Jack Roswick and all, you know, so on and so forth that we've seen go from the, you know, the AHL team to the big club. So uh, at this point, I mean, I haven't talked to Pascal. I've talked to Pascal in the past. He's very passionate about Winnipeg. He was very passionate about his role with the Manitoba Moose. So you have to, you have to think, or at least assume a little bit here that his conversations with the Columbus Blue Jackets were obviously positive, that it could lead to something bigger. Um, You kind of want to get in that, that uh, conversation again in the NHL to get that head coaching job. So I imagine he views that as, okay, I've done some great things with the Moose. I'm going to get great references from the Winnipeg people. Let's get in, you know, let's start impressing some people in other organizations. And then what does that lead to? Cause he hasn't, you know, as much as he's taken a lot of pride and he certainly has in being the, the bench boss for the Moose, he ha- it, it, it isn't a secret that he's wanted to get back in the NHL, that he's wanted to become a head coach again. Um, you know, he has been a head coach in the past at different levels, obviously not in that level, um, um, but wants to get to that position. And you have to imagine, you know, it was a tough choice, but it was a choice that he sees as the quickest route to get back there. Yeah. And and listen, Pascal's put together a very impressive resume. I mean, he was an elite coach at the junior level, which brought him to Winnipeg, um, you know, was assistant coach for all. And then, you know, took the job as the head coach of the Manitoba Moose. And to your point, I mean, it was surprising to some people, but I think, the fact that you know he's now had success as a head coach at junior, as at, at the American Hockey League level, will have been an assistant with one team, will have an assistant period of time with Columbus. Um, I think it really sort of feels like this is the last thing to tick off before maybe he is considered a serious candidate for future jobs in the National Hockey League. Um, where do the Jets go from here? I mean, this is something I think uh, certainly for those of us following the club, I mean, that wasn't really on the radar. I wasn't anticipating losing Pascal. And you mentioned a bunch of those players. I mean, let's talk about the defense that are going to be coming in to this team. Hainala, but particularly Logan Stanley, we saw the fruits of his work, but as well as the work of the coaching staff with his this year, you got Dylan Sandberg, Kovacevic. I mean, there are some talented young defensemen coming in. Um, I would imagine that trying to continue what Pascal was doing quite well in Manitoba, will be priority number one when they fill the spot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it leaves the hole in, in the Jets organization, um, no doubt. I mean, this is someone they had a, a, had a lot of respect for. Uh, certainly was doing a terrific job with the Manitoba Moose and developing those those players to jump to the big club. So at this point, I mean, um, it's about finding a replacement, obviously. So uh, the thing about it is, is that you don't really, you're not bringing on a unique um a, a unique per- personality as the head coach. That head coach's job is to 
take the Jets systems and apply them to the Manitoba Moose. So what they're going to be essentially be looking for, and I mean, just given how long Paul Maurice has been in this, um, you know, been in the NHL and coaching his, his list of connections, it is a good job to get to. I mean, there's people out there who would want this job. It's just whether or not they're the right fit that they can preach these systems, that they can maintain that. Because as we, as we, as we know with the Moose um, much different than what we knew at the Moose without the Jets is that they're not, you know, the wins and losses are important. Of course, you want to see results to a certain degree but the, res- the most important results are that the players are adopting the, si- the exact systems at that level so that when they get called up to the Jets and we've heard uh, you know Pascal say this many times he doesn't see them again and 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 that's essentially adopting to what the Jets want to do so I think it's at this point it's going through your you know your Rolodex figuring out who the, the right candidates are figuring out who can relay your message um, there's probably a bit of elements of who doesn't want to kind of get out of here right away, you know, who, who's in a position to maybe stick around for a couple seasons and not just take that promotion if and when it comes. So, uh, again, it's probably not as much. You want the best guy. You want the guy who you think is going to be able to work well with the players. And that's another big element, too, of the AHL is that it's a bit of a, you know, you need to be a little bit of a, you know, you're a coach, but you're also a friend. You're a bit of a psychologist because everyone that is in that group, for the most part, a majority of those players, and particularly the ones that you're referring to, they don't want to be there. Um, but they need to know why they should be there, why why they should appreciate being there, and to know that their opportunity is coming. And so you kind of need, you know, the right guy um, who is going to be able to do all those things, and and that's where that's where the search begins. Jeff Hamilton from the Free Press with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk and Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Um, all right, Hammer, let's get to the Habs. <laughs> They're on their way to the final. Does what they did to Vegas change at all your thoughts on what? happened with the Winnipeg Jets in that series? I mean, does the does the four-game sweep look worse today than it did two weeks ago to you? I don't know. I mean, it's easy to kind of... Like, I think if you're... I think it inevitably softens it for some people. Like, I think the fact that, okay, like Montreal didn't, you know, go to the next series and, and get swept. Like everybody thought they were going to get swept at either against Vegas or Colorado, right? Everyone counted them out. And so, you know, just the fact that they're past there, I don't know if it, if it makes up for it. I, I, I don't think... Look, at I don't think that the Mon- I think the Montreal Canadiens are gaining more and more confidence as they go. They're gaining more and more belief. I don't think they finished that game seven in Toronto and were like, OK, we're, you know, our mentality, their game was there for sure. I mean, they found their game, but I don't know if they had this overwhelming confidence. Well, to get through that next, you know, to get through the Jets, uh, you know, a team that had swept Edmonton that everyone thought was going to do a lot more damage than ultimately they did. And then to actually get through a team that beat Colorado, who a lot of people thought it was, I think that their belief has only skyrocketed. I mean, this question of why not us has to be beaming in that locker room. I mean, I bet you going into that, into the final, whoever, you know, whether it's going to be the New York Islanders or, or Tampa Bay, I mean, you got to be feeling really good if you're, if you're Montreal, just of, of what you've been able to do, whether or not that, you know, dampens the loss of a, of a Winnipeg Jets sweep. I don't think so. I think it exposed the Jets um, in a lot of ways. And, and ultimately, you know, I don't know if you can convince many Jets fans that it's, that it's cool now, you know, like, um, Yo, but, no, I mean, I'm not saying that just, I mean, to not, me, you know it mean? was yeah. so bad. I mean, like, honestly, I mean, I was beside myself for 10 days and I tried to watch some of the games back just to see like, am I, am I overreacting to this? Was it like, maybe it was, and it wasn't, I mean, it was not close. It wasn't, but 
Again, if then that team goes up and gets embarrassed by Vegas, then you're like, okay, where are things at? I guess the bottom line is the yeah, narrative certainly. that the North Division was garbage and these teams couldn't compete with the other teams. Um, Montreal's doing a very good job of erasing that narrative, and they've pretty much done it. And I guess to some people, it's like, okay, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe that division wasn't there. But to your point, um, you know, it doesn't really matter what happened afterwards because the autopsy of that series, with or without Shifley, wasn't right. really good for the Winnipeg Jets. Hey, a, a Jets question that sort of relates to what we're seeing with Montreal. And I'm not going to go down the Ville Hainel road. We've talked tons about Ville. He'll be in the mix next year, and we'll see what happens. But to me, maybe the most interesting person as it relates to next season for the Winnipeg Jets is Cole Perfetti. And listen, if this was a normal year, we're not having this conversation. But the fact of the matter is that Perfetti excelled at every level he played in this year, had a great run in the second half of the American Hockey League season, playing against men. Of course, went to the World Championships. And his situation next year is either you're on the Winnipeg Jets or you're back in the Ontario Hockey League, back where you were two years ago. And I don't think that's a good situation for, for him as far, you know, considering what he's already shown that he can do. Um, it, it'll depend on his play and what he's able to do. But I guess my question is, with what's happening right now with another very small, incredibly talented offensive player like Cole Caulfield in Montreal, combined with the season that Perfetti has had, um, is it more likely now in your mind that you think Perfetti gets a real legitimate chance to stay with the club this year or l- l- next season? Yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, I think I think you took it right away, uh, right off the top there. Uh, you know, what are the alternatives? Like, are you going to put this guy back in junior? Like, that doesn't really make much sense. So you, you are kind of caught in a position. It's a very unique year for, for Cole Perfetti. Better junior than the press box, though. And I mean, that's the that is the worry of a lot of people. You know what I'm saying? Of course. And 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 that's and that's kind of where I was going with this is that this guy had a unique season where he proved it on a number of different levels. He proved it at the AHL level. He was able to prove it at you know the world junior level. All that experience, right? That experience, that that confidence that he has. Like, why would you send him back to junior? But you also have to weigh, okay, where does he fit in with your team? He's not a fourth line guy, you know. Is he a top six guy right now? Possibly, if you, especially if you if you if you're able to keep your your third line, if you will, that checking line of Adam Lowry's, you know, does he fit in there? I think he does. I mean, I think he, you know, this guy had like, you know, he got opportunity this year, uh, very very unique opportunity this year, and he seized it. So the fact that he seized this opportunity at these various levels proves to me that this guy deserves a chance, you know, and, and maybe there's an ease in period to a certain degree. And I don't mean like sitting him in the press box for a bit and easing him in. Maybe you ease him in in his minutes or his role, but this guy has a touch around the net. I mean, he's proven to have certain things at this level. And I mean, not the NHL level, because we haven't seen him consistent and there will be a challenge there. There will be a, a you know, an uptick in, in, in expectations and speed and all those things that are, he's going to have to adjust to. And maybe you have a better idea after a 10 games or, or so, but what we've seen from him so far at those different levels playing against men, I mean, how do you not like what you see? And, and, you know, whether, whether, you know, Cole Caulfield strengthens it, I think it does. You're giving a guy an opportunity. I think what's going to be and and I don't want to necessarily start this rumor that this might be the case but you know the reason why Billy Hainala wasn't in the roster was because I think a lot of people in that dressing room player wise didn't see a you know didn't see a 19 year old as being the responsible play on the blue line including the head coach and so I'll be curious what the 
temperature is, if you will, of, you know, the Blake Wheelers, the you know, the Mark Shifley's, the guys who actually have a lot of say in that locker room. Now, I'm not trying to suggest that they're, they're anti, you know, they're anti Culper Fetty. That's not the case at all. It's just, you know, I think you got to give him a chance. I think you got to embrace him. And I think, and, and my point in all that is to say, I think Cole Caulfield is having the success that he's having because he's getting propped up by his teammates, because he's got the confidence in his guys. Guys are looking at him like he's a 10 year veteran, when he's playing on the ice. Now I'm not saying that, that, uh, you know, Cole Perfetti is, is going to do what Cole Caulfield did. And I'm not, also not ruling it out that, that success either, but I think there's an, you know, I think you have to appreciate what we've seen with him over the last year. And I think you need to put him in a position where that confidence maintains through this off season and then maintains at camp. So you can ride the momentum of this guy and he can be a very important piece on your roster. Yeah. And listen, I'll say, I mean, the jets, I mean, Logan Stanley's a perfect example of that. And the fact that, I mean, I think they did, they play, played their cards perfectly as far as putting him in situations for him to gain confidence which grew throughout the year and you know and mm-hmm. didn't put him in over his head now it's certainly very different for a defenseman than a young forward um but that's going to be a fascinating story looking or watching and paying attention heading into uh into the offseason especially considering i mean if he's a guy that can actually take a job and contribute in that yeah. top 12 having a player on an elc do that first year of his elc um, you know, can really help you in some other areas as you're looking at, to do it. But okay. back to you, you mentioned puck management. And, you know, I just had a great conversation with Mike Kelly, who's, you know, to me, one of the best minds covering the game right now. And, you know, and he talked about the puck management of Montreal. And we sort of went back from the puck management of the Jets that, you know, went very well against Edmonton and was a disaster against the Montreal Canadiens. And I couldn't help but thinking the Habs were having a tough time scoring goals. We're like, what the hell? Let's get this kid in. We know he can score. Maybe he can help us. I can't help but think that, you know, Billy Halo, the one thing that he does very well is make those simple decisions, manage the puck, play the puck, make the right decision. And, you know, in retrospect, seeing what we're, what the Habs are getting, filling a need from a younger player you wonder, and I'm not saying this would have changed the series because it wouldn't at, at all, but the opportunity to play in the bright lights of playoff hockey, it would have been very interested to see if there could have been an improvement because they didn't change anything. Nothing got better. And well, it was a, it was a short and sweet series, unfortunately for Winnipeg. Well, this is, you know, and this is in defense of the Jets, but I mean, whether it was Billy Hainala or whether it was Cole Perfetti, like, I just don't think that there was an opportunity to just insert them in the thick of a playoff race. You didn't do enough. And again, I'm not saying that that it, it it couldn't have you know yielded different results or or could have made an impact or something like that. And and actually, you know, I'm, I'm kind of taking a shot against the Jets because I don't think they did enough leading up to that point. Now, Cole Perfetti is a little bit more excusable because you you know you didn't want to overwhelm him in his first year, and he had a lot to do. And I think that they dealt with him perfectly because of what we saw this year, right? I mean, you bring him up to the Jets, he plays four or five games, he doesn't do anything, he doesn't play well, his confidence is shot. Everything worked out exactly the way they wanted to work out. He's feeling really, really good going into the summer. You know, he, he obviously had a, a, a good world championship, and and you know now now you start now. Now you start looking at him as a piece right away. The Villahanola situation would have been better had they put him in the mix. Like, this is what I don't get. And, you know, it's not I hate dwelling on things per se, but like Derek Forbert looked exhausted at times in the season. Like there are guys on the back end of the Winnipeg Jets with the kind of game they expected their defense to play where they ran these guys. And I don't understand, you know, you want to talk about puck management. Let's talk about load management. There was there was an area where I felt like they could have easily 
you know, brought in a guy like Billy Hainala and worked him into games, even if he wasn't an everyday game guy, worked him in, allowed to have some of those guys come out of the lineup and get some rest so they weren't as battered come the playoffs. Um, and then you would have been in a position that if you wanted to start with Billy Hainala, you could have, or if you wanted to insert him at a very important time in the playoffs, you weren't putting the pressure on the 19-year-old kid to co- somehow come in and change you know, the direction of this series. So that's on the Jets for not doing it. That's their decision. That's the way they feel with you know their development curve and how they want it. I mean, there's certain things that they know about the person um, that is important that goes into those decisions that, that we aren't privy to, or maybe we don't know. So there are other things to consider. I just think when you, you know, when you, when you take the question and go, well, should you have inserted Billy Hainal or, or could Cole Perfetti have done things? You have to look at the entire body of the year and then make those decisions. And I think that the work hadn't been done prior to that moment to then expect them to come in at the at arguably the biggest moment would have been a bit too much to ask for guys that, you know, are 19 years old. Yeah. Well, listen, I mean, I'm not suggesting for a second. I mean, Perfetti was never an option this year and it was really cool that once the moose finished, he got that opportunity to go to team Canada and that'll be something that I'm sure will help him going into the off season. Hey, mm-hmm. it was just a little different because the amount of time he spent in the press box, not playing as part of the for taxi sure. squad and then, and then not getting into the playoffs. And listen, I know Sheval Dayoff said that, you know, at no point did they make any sort of organizational decisions as far as rolling over the ELC. Right. I mean, yeah. I yeah, that had no factor whatsoever. Okay. Yeah. yeah I <laughs> like, as yeah. I said, I just assumed that that was the case and Hey, you know, whatever, maybe they have to say things or maybe that's exactly yeah. true. We'll never Imagine know. He said, yes. Imagine he was like, yeah, actually that, that we didn't want to burn a year on the guy. Then what, what's the headline? <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, the agent like, doesn't like that very yeah, often. Yeah, so, no uh, kidding, yeah. Hey, so it, yeah. it, it is and, what it and, is. And we'll give him three years in, in advance. You're going to arbitration too. So, you know, it's just like, yeah. Hey, listen, I want to talk about the, uh, just to get your thoughts on the CFL and the Bombers upcoming season, but yeah. there's one other hockey story that I wanted to hit. And I've been waiting to sort of touch on this because it is a, a very serious and, and a horrible story. Uh, but also there's a lot of information that really isn't out there and, you know, it's difficult, but this goes back to the Hawks 2010 cup run. Um, you know, a co a former video coach of theirs has been accused of sexually assaulting two players from the sounds like it was well-known within the organization. And, you know, the worst part about this was that not only did they not go to the cops, but they let the guy quit and leave and then went and was coaching minors where another incident happened. I mean, you are uniquely in on this from your incredible work doing the Graham James story this year. Um, What are you hearing about this and, and how serious of a situation is this for the league and the national hockey league going forward, as well as some of the individuals. And again, this is why I don't want to get too much into it. I mean, Joel Quenville was the head coach. Kevin Chevaldeo was the assistant GM. Mark Bergevin was on the staff as well. Stan Bowman was the general manager. Um, And the fact that the team and the league has really not said anything or said that they even have an investigation on it, Jeff. Um, I know more information is going to be coming out very soon, but for someone with your experience and what you've been covering for the last couple of years, what have you been thinking when you've been reading these reports? Really disgusted, to be honest with you. I mean, it's, um, you know, it's, it's absolutely reprehensible. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's like I said, disgusting. It's um, the, the actions by the National Hockey League um, back then with the, with the Chicago Blackhawks in particular, obviously inexcusable, and they remain inexcusable today. I mean, this whole culture of silence, what's the one common denominator of all those people you mentioned? They all grew up in the culture of silence in hockey. You know, we're, we're saying nothing is some, for some reason the message that we've been hammering over and over and over and over for years that silence is complicity. 
they don't, no one understands that. I mean, the NHL, like the, the Chicago Blackhawks, and I understand it's coming from a legal perspective, but the Chicago Blackhawks saying that it's a statute of limitations thing. That's insane to me. The NHL saying that they're leaving. You know what the, you know what the problem is? Cause I, I reached out to the Winnipeg Jets a couple of weeks ago. You know, people are like, well, what's the deal with that? I reached out to them when, before this. And you know, it's all going through the Chicago Blackhawks. Like that, that, that's the sign, right? That's the signal that, that, or that, that's the avenue that, that we're going with is we're, we're funneling everything to one team. You know, I don't know if the Blackhawks have to get their story straight or, or how they plan to, to execute this, but I mean, some of those things are damning. And we don't, we don't know any, everything, Huss, but we know enough. I mean, you have a guy, Paul Vincent, who is a skills coach who's ready to tell. That's massive. I mean, that guy's not lying. The, the, you have players coming out and saying that everybody knew it was an open secret. So you're telling me like, and I'm not trying to like, you know, and you gotta be, you gotta tread lightly here because names like Joel Quenbo and Kevin Chevalier were not in, are not included in those articles. In fact, they mentioned them that they don't know what they knew. Well, and just, just to quickly on Chevy, um, you know, when you look at the timeline, this happened to believe in and around the 2010 playoffs and, um, very shortly after that, the uh, Kevin Shoveldale became the general manager of the Winnipeg Jets. So again, right. I, I, I don't, and and those are the two names that you know, with all the reporting that really haven't been in there. Quenville's the head coach. I mean, I again, like, I don't want to say general manager. Like it's speculation, but like you got to start asking questions why the head coach and the AGM didn't know. Right. Like, I mean, if, if, if everyone knew the players, the, mm-hmm. you know, all, all the all this, you know, the, the other coaching staff, like, you know, the skills coach, um, you know, if they all knew if the president knew the, 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 the VP of operations knew the general manager knew. Like, are you telling me the head coach and the AGM didn't know? OK, if you didn't know, then I'd be the first one to come out and start saying I didn't know. You know, I mean, like, like, again, it goes back to this silence thing. Like, if I had absolutely no idea, if my conscience, conscience was squeaky clean, I'd be out ahead of this right away. I wouldn't be worried about my friends on an organization that hired me. This is way bigger than hockey. So, and I, as you alluded to, I mean, I've, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time and space in this, in this area, if you will, abuse in sport, particularly abuse in hockey, whether it was the three and a half years I dedicated to the Graham James project, you know, the, the thousands of hours of interviews that I conducted with, with survivors and people in hockey and, and, you know, throughout that process. And what's sickening is that a lot of the same themes that occurred back then. And when I say back then, as early as the seventies and obviously well into the eighties and nineties and, and, you know, an era where, you know, things around sexual abuse, um, you know, uh, males, coaches against male players, like those things were, you know, particularly early on in that, in, in, in that timeline, I suggested were almost unheard of. People didn't understand the, I, you know, a lot, a lot of, a lot of things, a lot of terms didn't exist back there. Pedophiles. No one knew what a pedophile was, you know, back in the seventies, you know, just like we didn't know who, you know, serial killers and all those things, those things evolved. We're talking 2010 and those same themes exist. The same themes of silence. The same themes of of Greyhound therapy where everyone knows, you know, a majority of people know enough people knew in a position of power to do something about it. And what do they do? They do what they used to do, what they always do seemingly. And that's that's ship this guy away. No longer our problem. You know, and then I, you know what I really appreciate, I forget what university it was or it was university or it was a, um, a high school, but, you know, the, the, there was a comment in one of Rick Westhead's story where it said, you know, we didn't know, um, you know, we always wondered why this guy would go from the National Hockey League to our program. Like we yeah. felt lucky, but why? And then the fact that they're asking themselves that question now, that to me is that, you know, I don't want to say huge or some, you know, whatever. It's important because the other stuff that, that the themes that go is, is now what we're doing now. 
Because you know what you would do now, what would be appropriate now for the Chicago Blackhawks? It would bring in third-party investigators to come in, to interview players, to say, hey, you know what? This is a problem, and we're going to get to the bottom of it, and and hockey, or the Chicago Blackhawks in this case, is not going to handle it. We're going to hand this over to professionals. We're going to hand this over to professional investigators, and we're going to come up with an answer so that when this is all said and done, whether it's bad or horrible news, which we know it's kind of headed that way, you know, we can at least look back and say the Blackhawks did it right this time. The NHL did it right this time. But they didn't do it right back then, and they're not doing it right now. And hockey, and I've said this for a long time, we've, you know, we're in the middle of a reckoning here with sports, particularly with hockey. And I know, and hockey has this problem where they just, they get this bad press and they say, well, it's not a hockey problem. It's, you know, it deals with everything or or they get their backs up tight and they go, well, this is what we do. These are the positive things without actually looking in the mirror and reflecting on something bigger than your actual careers. Because well, we're no, talking about you, two athletes here. Sorry, Hans. Yeah. yeah well, and, and and listen on this, and I mean, this goes back to some of your reporting. Um, I mean, listen, I can, you know, as horrible as it is, I can understand the power structure of junior hockey back in the day. You know, where these young men are so dependent on playing time and opportunity and going forward that a predator like Graham James could be in a situation to take care of children. The fact that this was happening in 2010 in the National Hockey League with men and adults, a video coach of this could happen. I mean, if that's not an eye opener that this sort of predatory behavior can happen anywhere at any times at any level of the game, I don't know what is. And I mean, to be honest, Jeff, and I think this is unfortunate but I mean, when we're so, uh, you know, we've gone through all the horror stories of Sheldon Kennedy and Graham James and everything that you've been reporting on. When you hear something like that from an NHL team, a team that just won the Stanley Cup, of players that are on the roster, it it sounds hard to sort of wrap your head around and contend. But with what we're learning right now, I mean, if this isn't I mean, I don't want to call it a wake-up call. It's probably a very poorish choice of words because if the wake-up call didn't happen over the last 20 years of what we happened, it's never going to happen right now. But it just speaks to how these predators can get into situations and take advantage even at the highest level. And it's something that um, will be indefensible if the National Hockey League doesn't do everything they can to do the right thing to eradicate it and most importantly, set up procedures if they aren't already to prevent that ever from happening again on their watch and help other leagues especially junior leagues where the kids are far more in a dangerous situation than i would imagine a national hockey league player is so i'm glad yeah i'm really really happy Huss, that you um that you mentioned a couple different things that i want to address there and the first one is i think a lot of people and i got this certainly in in, in my research um a lot of people think well these guys were hockey players you know like these guys were older you know men to you know age wise at least obviously and and that you know like how could you put yourself in this position or or, or why couldn't you handle yourself and stuff like that and one of the things that is lost in that is is an education and understanding of how these people work you know how they befriend these people how they you know next thing you know it's almost too late and then it's the fear it's the embarrassment it's the shame it's it's the culture around hockey of of you know the the fear that you know someone's you know all of a sudden going to think and we're not connecting these two things homosexuality and, and and being a predator but then all of a sudden they feel like they're in this position and they go well I don't want people to think I'm gay it has nothing to do with your sexuality you know it, it but but the 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 predators prey on that 
They, they rely on that. They rely on all those feelings that you have, the threats that we hear happen. You know, text, like, you know, I don't know every relationship of the video guy on their respective teams, but they're obviously respected amongst the coaching staff. I mean, these guys relay information. They have an element and, and, and degree of control to, to then, you know, to affect someone's career. And then it's like, then what, 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 as a player, what are your options? You know what I mean? Like, and especially when you look at what the team did, when you look at what the team did, who would feel comfortable going to those men? Who? You know what I mean? They looked at it, got it, not even, you know, got rid of him, con- continued to keep him on the roster. He's now on the Stanley Cup. And then you ship him off and allow him to get another job. Like, I wonder what those men are thinking right now. You know, when they look at the other victim, 17-year-old, you know, survivor that went through that because the Chicago Blackhawks didn't do their jobs. I mean, they, 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 these guys should be held responsible for that, in my opinion. And I think, in, you know, most. The other thing I want to address in this is, the systemic issues that exist in hockey, hockey culture. Until we start developing human beings and not the star players in hockey from an early age, we're going to continue to see this culture of silence, this culture of, you know, these men have the most power and this is the way it goes. Because what's the one thing you hear about when guys show up to the NHL? You know, learning how to be a pro. That's not about playing hockey every day. That's about being a human being. It's about doing your laundry, about cooking your own meals. It's about doing things that your, your billet family isn't doing for you in junior. Like these guys, kids are literally taken care of from the age of eight right until they get into the National Hockey League and start making major bank. Socially are not there. I'll, I'll say it. That's the way it is. I'm not saying every player is like that, but there's a, like the hockey culture. These guys have been pampered their entire lives and the money, all the money goes into creating these diamond in the roughs, these rare 1% of players who get all the advantages. And then when they get there, they don't know how to handle it all. And with the way the hockey, you know, when I say systemic issues, I'm talking about the culture around hockey where competitive, there's a lot of traits, a lot of great things about the game. No doubt about it. Teamwork, you know, all these things that you can get, you know, integrity, character, all these things you learn with adversity and battling with team sports. But there's too much of an edge there on the, the most important people and not a look of everybody. Because I asked this question, I wonder how many people, how many people give everything to the game? And at the end of it, how much did they get out of it? It's a serious question I think a lot of people need to ask. And it's the reason why we're getting these reckonings 10 years later. You know, and this is just like, you know, I don't want to say the tip of the iceberg, but it kind of is. Because you're right, Huss. If this is happening at the National Hockey League level as early as 2010. How many other leagues is this happening? Uh, the first thing, I mean, it's um, listen, it's it's a horrible story, and it's certainly one that's not going anywhere. Uh, Mark Lazarus is a great piece in the Athletic today, uh, pretty thorough on it, which I'd suggest if you want more information to read. Rick Westhead's been reporting on this, and um, you know, while you know the hockey world focuses on the Stanley Cup final and what should be a very interesting, uh, exciting off season, um, this is unfortunately will be a story that you know will be continuing, and I, I'm. I have no idea how it's going to finish up, but I can tell you right now, both the Hawks organization and the National Hockey League are in a bad spot that is entirely of their own doing uh, because some people, and I'm not saying anyone in particular, didn't have the courage to stand up instead of just getting rid of a problem to handle it the way that it needs to be handled today in 2010, and it should have been for decades and years before. I'll say it has one guy, Paul Vincent. The rest didn't. So we know that we're named in that group. They're all Mm -hmm. responsible. Yeah. All right, Jeff Hamilton with us here. Um, let's finish off on a much more lighter note. CFL, sure. green light. We got a season coming on. And, uh, man, what do you uh, 
Listen, I am so excited about the news that the Bombers have set out that they're going to try and fill the stadium with double vaccinated fans. I certainly personally don't have a problem with that. I got the shot. I know some people will um, and whatever. I guess you got to make your own choices. But um, the fact that I mean, we've come a long way in a short period of time. I mean, I was sort of hoping we might be able to get 50 percent for that August 5th game if things went going and hoping on a full house for the Banjo Bowl. I mean, what do you make of, uh, you know, what we've heard from the Bombers, their decision, and how different is that from what we're seeing around the Canadian Football League? I mean, I haven't heard full houses with vaccinated fans in a lot of other markets. Will other teams be following suit? Yeah, a lot different. And I think I think it really is the teams working with the the, the provincial governments, as we've seen in Saskatchewan and, um, you know, in Alberta, it's kind of open, right? Open, open for business. Um, they're going a lot off the off the first vaccination uh, stats, right? It's not about being fully vaccinated. It's about getting your first and, a, and, and kind of that herd immunity. Um, you know, it, it's certainly a more cautious approach from from Manitoba. But this has kind of been, you know, if you followed my 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 writings over the last little while here, this has kind of been slowly but but surely come, you know, it's, 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 uh, the reality is being double vaccinated, um, eliminates, eliminates a lot of problems, right? It eliminates the idea of, of having to, um, necessarily, you know, space people out at the games. Like there's a lot of health protocols that I don't want to say go completely out the window, but a lot of them kind of do, right? If you want to, if you want to congregate around the rum hut, being double vaccinated and getting your vaccine passport. So two weeks after your second dose permits you to do that. It also takes a lot of money away from having to pay for all the added bodies to make sure people are doing things. And it gives you the most amount of people, I think, in, in, in the stadium. So, you know, the way I read it is, you know, the Bombers are expecting a full house by August 5th, you know, or at least permitted to have a full house by August 5th, so long as you're double vaccinated. And, and that's where we're headed here, right? I mean, that was a little bit of a, a precursor here. This is going to be the situation, at least to start the season. Um, you're going to need to be double vaxxed if you want to go to a game. And, and you know, I mean, you can argue with that, um, whatever. I, I personally am a proponent of it. I think it creates a better environment for everybody who's watching the game. Everyone kind of has that sense of, um, you know, relief, if you will, that the person sitting, whether it's the next seat to them or six feet away from them has their shots you know they're not easily spraying all these things there's still going to be stuff that's taken into consideration but i think we're you know i mean i don't think i know we're set on a path here where it's going to be double vaxxed and you know ultimately by the time the, the games start coming around a little more details are in place some more rules are in place people are you know if they're mad about it now maybe they're over it by august 5th hey it's a nice incentive i mean if you're sitting there if you're on the fence you're like oh i don't want to do this and Realize that, well, geez, I really want to go see the Bombers this year. Maybe they'll get a few more people going for. I mean, for sure. uh, it's not gonna, it's not gonna hurt. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, no, and I mean that's, I mean, again, like it's, it's one of those things where you know, the, you know, I think the media is probably going to need to be the same thing. Like we're we're heading into an environment here that we want to open things up as much as possible, and and ultimately that's the that's the easiest and best route um, to get there. So to me, it kind of makes sense. And how about this? Uh, now, is this a uh, controlled practice that the Bombers and Riders doing just uh, basically another name for an exhibition game that they'll charge money, get fans in the seats, have tickets and uh, just basically makes it legal? I mean, it's a great idea for both teams, especially if you don't have any preseason football. I think teams like Winnipeg and Saskatchewan, I believe Calgary and Edmonton are going to do this. Um, uh, probably a nice thing to have going into a very important game in a Grey Cup rematch without any live bullets up until that point on the schedule for either team. 
Yeah, you know, and, and yeah, it, it's it's an interesting thing. I, I kind of had to laugh at the beginning because it's kind of one of those like CFL give an inch, take a mile kind of situations. Like they're told not to do preseason games. And now you have different provinces trying to work out mutual practices when all players are not going to be vaccinated. Um, but they're going to be tested, of course. So there is going to be a bit of a, you know, there's going to be strict protocols and stuff so that, you know, that 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 health risk is at least kind of diminished, um, you know, to a certain degree, obviously not to double vax that, but um, overall. But anyways, it's also going to be be more of a it's going to be a look at the rookies because I think that's one of the biggest things in, and probably one of the most unfair situations that we've seen in a long time is these American players that have no experience at the Canadian football league level have to impress under pretty difficult circumstances, right? Like where all of a sudden, you know, a guy might not be a guy might be a better player. He might be in better shape, but he doesn't have those things down. And the bombers don't really have a lot of time to, you know, for him to take three weeks to figure things out. Right. So they might take a lesser player with more experience this way. They get to see against different comp- competition they get to see you know um you know because we all know the battles are going to be intense you know inner team but they're not going to be intense playing somebody else who's going to be on another team so i think this is a real opportunity and it's going to just be rookies none of the you know zach claros and you know andrew harris and those guys aren't going to regina to play um or to practice and to scrimmage it's not going to be a game i think the closest thing you're going to get to a game is the 12 on 12 drills which you know mimics it but they're not you know they're not going to be going in there bringing in referees and doing like these four quarters so there's no there's not going to be a line on this scrimmage or anything like that. I think it's going to be a lot of stop plays, a lot of practice (laughs) kind of drills and stuff like that. So there's going to be a little bit because they, they obviously want to see compete. It's a, it's an advantage to both sides, but obviously the other thing too is, you know, they got to make money. And I think that's Saskatchewan's deal here. From what I understand, they're footing the bill. Um, They're flying the bombers in. uh, They're selling tickets from what I imagine. Cause they need to, you know, like, I mean, you can't say you lost $7 million and then, you know, start doing these trips beforehand that are kind of like not useless, but are, are, don't replicate a, a preseason game that you'd get out of it. So obviously there's something in the mix there. There's um, there's a there's a, a, a real eagerness, eagerness from both sides to do it. And um, from what we understand, it's going to be this uh, July 24th. So um, and there's going to be lots of fans there, uh, apparently. So, I mean, yeah. not apparently they're going to be allowed. We already know that. So I imagine they're going to get a good, uh, good group out. Hey, we had your cohort bombing on earlier this week mm. who was looking resplendent with his COVID hair and the bandana. Yeah, but um, uh, you guys have got some exciting things coming on. If people missed it, tell us about CFL 360 and uh, what you and DB have cooking for the season. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, you know, it's a really cool idea that Darren that Darren came uh, to me with and, you know, something that isn't really done, not, you know, not in my work in the sense that obviously I cover football, but, you know, this whole kind of movement to YouTube and a lot of a lot of cool opportunities, as you've seen, I've been on, you know, this show, I've been on Kenny and Rennie, you know, a, a sizable amount of times. And, um, you know, it's it's a nice platform. It's a, it's a good opportunity to, to share opinion when, you know, I do columns for sure, usually when they're kind of league wide, but I don't, you know, I'm not the columnist at the Winnipeg for press so um which i'm still there it's my main job my main priority but this is a really exciting opportunity um to share some of those edgier opinions you know i have a, you know i have a, a fair amount of contacts um you know in this league and i and i have a, have a lot of opinions in, uh, of this league too and to have an opportunity and a platform to kind of spit those out once uh, once a week um for this show through cfl 360 is a really great opportunity as far as you know darren too is you know he's a, a terrific partner he's a guy who's very very passionate about the canadian football league um you know 
he likes to dive into the X and O stuff. You know, I'm more of the, you know, the lawless and the hustler and lawless combo, if you will. And, and, you know, the kind of the louder guy and, and he, he, he's got a, you know, a superior knowledge um, with the game, with the three down game as again, a passion and, and our friendship goes back, uh, you know, a long, long time. So uh, really excited to, to partner with him and group with him and um, bring something to fans that, uh, you know, show a side of me that, you know, it's kind of come out more and more. I mean, I was always like that on radio. I'd like to argue, but particularly like, hold on, on a video. sec. I mean, are, am I going to need a racing suit to watch this show? I mean, we're going to get even hotter Jeff Hamilton takes on C- and a CFL 360 and we're already used to getting. I mean, I'm not sure if I'm ready for this. Hammer. Well, like, you know, I, I don't, pro- yeah, I, I mean, whether they're hotter or if they're just more consistent and in a, in, 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 in over a longer period of time, maybe it's just, you know, I think, and it's not all, you know, the heat doesn't need to be negative. There's some positive stuff too, but as we know, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of unknowns, a lot of potential, I don't want to say potential disasters, but some some major uh, some major obstacles potentially here that the CFLs are going to have to get around as they return, and and you know a lot of you know we don't know about these long layoffs with players. My my point is is there's going to be a lot to talk about. Oh and yeah. Often when there's lots to talk about, there's lots of opinions to be shared. So well, it's bonfire sports. I know why they're kicking in here. You can uh, get on that and get ready. And I guess you guys will probably be getting going right around when training camp starts. I think Darren was saying. Yeah, I think that's kind of the plan. It's a work in progress. I mean, we want to have enough, you know, we want to have the, we want to get off on the right foot, right? Have enough content, have enough, you know, news to share and stuff like that. So the show's first one. So it's a, you know, it's in and around that area for sure. It's a, you know, it's again, not a work in progress. It's just determining, you know, what the next few weeks look like. And uh, yeah, just kind of excited to, to get that first one up and running and um, yeah, share with fans. Cause it's the other part too, man, is that, you know, it's, it's, and I've said this on your show and, and others that, you know, it's the comment section. That's fun. You know, I, never i never thought i'd embrace the comment section uh in, in this career but it's been certainly uh certainly a a uh, a welcomed uh a welcomed i wouldn't even say surprise a welcomed positive and and one that like even the negative stuff i love so um you know to me it's an opportunity to, to share what we know with fans and and for fans to share what they know with us and no and listen cool it, it, there's one thing we found out very quickly uh, starting this is that there's an incredible demand for locally based content and the cfl is maybe a bit niche but you know both here especially here and throughout the mm-hmm. country there's a lot of people into it and uh I'll be there. Well, listen, I've always loved having you on the program. If you ever need me, I can give you my weekly long snapper power rankings for the league. If you'd like, I'm, I, I, I've decided Perfect. that there's a lot of people focusing on another, a lot of other aspects of the game. The long snappers will not be ignored any longer. So uh, that's going to be my key CFL stat this year. So Talk if you'd like me to supply, yeah, if you'd like me to supply that to you, I'm ready. <laughs> Anyways, dude, uh, I'm looking forward to uh, sharing one of these with you very soon, starting uh, tomorrow. But um, have a great weekend. Good luck with everything. Obviously, we'll uh, be supporting you guys any way we can when you get going with CFL 360. And uh, cannot wait to see you at the stadium as well. Vaxed and waxed and ready to see the Bombers try and run it back. Hot boy summer, man. Let's uh, let's get her done. Appreciate it. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks for having me dude. on. There he is, Jeff Hamilton at Jeff K Hamilton on Twitter, and you can read his fine work in the pages of the Winnipeg Free Press. Well, speaking of summer, um, tomorrow's the big day. Patios are open again. A limited indoor dining as well again, and we've been waiting to go see our friends at Boston Pizza. And when we are back, we've got the new summer menu. Here you can see the honey dill. Fried chicken sandwich. I cannot wait to try that. We've also got the Burger Italiano, which is on the menu. But I have a feeling for people that are getting to their favorite BP patio on the weekend, they're going to be staring down the new Bulldog Margarita Fish Bowl. 
which is a tequila and triple sec blended with lime juice and served with a bottle of Corona Extra. Um, you can get it in lime, strawberry, raspberry, or peach. They've got the Galaxy Fish Bowls, Twisted Long Island Fish Bowls, and uh, of course they got the Vizzy Seltzers as well, Peachy Mojito Royales, a whole bunch of amazing... Oh, and the White Sangria Smash will be a popular one as well. So the summer is here. The restaurants are open again beginning tomorrow. Pop down, check out the new summer menu at Boston Pizza, and enjoy one of those great specialty drinks on the patio. A big shout-out to Aikens Lake. Getting back open again. Well, Manitoba's incredible world-class fishing, fly-in fishing lodge. You can be on the water in less than two hours from Manitoba. Uh, don't want to leave the province this summer, but still want to have a world-class trip. Go to AkinsLake.com and find out more about getting you and your group out there. We're going to hopefully be heading there a little later on next month. I cannot wait. It's always a highlight of my year. So that should be a heck of a lot of fun. And you can also hit him up on Twitter. Pitt Turan, our great friend, running the spot at Aikens Lake on Twitter. And, of course, Assiniboia Downs. We are ready for live racing coming up on Monday again. But Assiniboia Downs had some great news yesterday that they, in fact, are uh, going to be reopening again on a limited basis as per the uh, the rules. Um, starting Saturday, which is tomorrow, Assiniboia Downs will be open daily at 9 a.m. Simulcast Racing and a fully licensed restaurant. You can watch and wager as well at hpibet.com. We'll have more clarity in the next week or so as to full, you know, some semblance of capacity, whether it's similar to the bomber showing the card or not at the track. But um, we're looking forward to getting all of you out with us at Assiniboia Downs sometime this year. All right, we got to get to the cool bet lines, hit a few more stories coming out uh, last night heading into the weekend. But let's get Michael Remus back in here and uh, remote. Great stuff with Jeff Hamilton. And, you know, we've been waiting to talk about that Hawk story for a little while as we got more information. But, you know, as this report from The Athletic today, um, pretty much unbelievable that we are where we're at and we're talking about something that happened in 2010. And unfortunately, I have a feeling this is going to be a dominant story in the hockey offseason combined with the excitement of the final and everything else revolving the Kraken coming into the league and the offseason for the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, the story in The Athletic today and Rick Westhead's reporting earlier, um, you know, it was kind of difficult to read and it's a horrible situation. And it is hard to believe that something like that could happen as early as 2010 in the NHL, as you guys discussed, and you guys put it so well. And you know, we know what kind of reporting Jeff did on the Graham James story. Um, you know, was it last summer that it came out? And uh, he was an excellent person to, uh, you know, get his perspective on because he's put uh, the work in. And, and again, it was, it's really tough uh, listening to. And I think it definitely will be a cloud over the uh, Stanley Cup final as, um, you know, more of the information comes out. Uh, didn't get a chance to get your take on Pascal Vincent moving on to Columbus. We sort of talked Habs and then we had our guests. I mean, uh, what did you think? I know you gave me a wow when I fired you the uh, the news yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, that wasn't really as much on the radar, I think, for most people following the teams. But now that Pazzy's moving on, I think that creates a pretty big hole at a very, very important role for an organization that prides itself on drafting and developing its own players. Yeah, and he's been very gracious with his time uh, joining us on the old station. I uh, didn't have him on here, but I mean, he's always very nice and, and great to work with. And, you know, he was the assistant coach with the Jets, went with the Moose, had a huge role and was, um, you know, good for him getting an opportunity in Columbus. He'll be coaching Jack Rosovic, who he coached, who did have some success with the Moose. Patrick Lina, you know, a part of the Jets organization, but 
I don't think uh, you know he directly was with the Moose at the time, but I mean they're gonna have to find a, a coach now for the Moose. I'm I'm not really sure who the candidates are or who's available, but you know a lot of Moose coaches have gone on to coach in the NHL, and I would think that it is a a desirable job. So um, there'll definitely be changes. But the Moose, who were having a great season, it is too bad they didn't have a, a Calder Cup playoffs there in the North Division. Yeah, you know, it's a big loss for the organization, a loss for the city, too. I mean, I got to tell you, I mean, you know, we've had the opportunity to speak with, you know, so many of the individuals within the organization over the years. And Pascal was one of the best. I mean, as far as giving, you know, thoughtful, complete answers, always having time to join us, whether back in his, uh, you know, Jets days or especially as the head coach of the Manitoba Moose. And, um, you know, you've heard how important he's been to the development of so many players. So um, big hole for the organization, but a great opportunity for Pascal Vincent at the same time. All right, let's get to our lines for Cool Bet Canada because uh, Remo we got to talk about a little Game 7 action tonight. Who will be playing the Montreal Canadiens on Monday night in Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Final? Will it be the New York Islanders? Will it be the Tampa Bay Lightning? And uh, I'll be honest, this line's a little closer than I had expected, Remus. Lightning back at home where they blasted the Islanders 8-0 in Game 5, minus 156 favorites, and the Islanders plus 138 to get it done. Uh, I did say it was going to seven after game five. I really don't have a good feel on how this game's going to go, but I think it's going to be close. I think it'll be right down to the wire. And I wouldn't even be surprised, Remo, if we had some overtime. But what are your thoughts on this matchup with the Islanders being plus 138 tonight? Yeah, I think a lot of it depends on is Nikita Kucherov playing. I think that is a huge factor for them. I know they played with him um, throughout the whole year, or played with him you know, throughout the whole year, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, so, I think it right now, it sounds like he's not playing, so I'm going to go with the... Uh, sorry, let me bring this video up. I'm going to go with um, the Islanders at plus money. Uh, I think that's the sentimental pick. They're playing well, and if Kucherov's out, I think that's a big blow. No, no, it certainly is. Um it's hard, you know, that Tampa has not, I believe Mike Kelly rolled this one out and there's someone in the chat mentioning it. I mean, they haven't lost two games in a row in the playoffs since they got swept by Columbus in 2019. I mean, they have been incredible at bouncing back, but for the same reason why I thought that the Islanders would win game six is that, you know, they've been a team that I don't know if there's a team that's mentally better suited to, you know, ice a tough loss or an embarrassing loss than the Islanders. But Remo, I would guess Tampa Bay is that other team. Um, And we've seen, by the way, that they've rolled through the last two seasons without losing back-to-back games. This would be an incredible disappointment for the Lightning, though, if they didn't win, considering the way that they won Game 5 and the confidence that they would have had as a team going into Game 6. Uh, but as I said before, they're like the undertaker of the uh, of the NHL. You just can't kill the New York Islanders, and uh, we'll find out tonight whether they can live to see another day. Yeah, we'll wait and see. I mean, what a story would be if they could have a cup final at the Coliseum. Um, I mean, we, it's been an incredible atmosphere. It smells like cigarettes and then beer after the win. We all <laughs> saw that, that quote, so... Uh, I'm kind of pulling for the Islanders here. It would be pretty cool, although Tampa repeat champion. Do we like repeat champions at the channel? Is that something that we're interested in? I did put, I did put it to a poll, and early results: 37 people voted of the 220 in chat. 68% want the Islanders. That's our two minutes in of the poll, so uh, you still got time here. 
Hey, speaking of everybody in chat, if you wouldn't mind, just take a quick second to hit that thumbs up button. We could certainly use the likes for today's show. If, uh, if you've got it on your phone, you just got to close the chat, hit the uh, like button. Uh, big help to us. And if you're with us, maybe for the first time before you haven't been, make sure to uh, hit the subscribe button and join us every day live at one o'clock on YouTube and in your podcast feed in and around three or three 30. And for the podcast listeners, uh, if you want to give us a five-star rating uh, and a, maybe a little review and also a big help to grow the channel as well. Um, a couple other things on cool bet that we wanted to get to. And by the way, I will plug this during the game tonight. We're going to roll it out. We just recorded it um, 9 PM. Our time we'll get into the full weekend lock shop, talking about our best bets, a little bit of baseball and a bunch of soccer, because of course the Euro round of 16 gets going tomorrow, 11 AM Wales and Denmark, Denmark, big favorite. These are all in the three ways. So home draw away, Denmark in regulation is minus 110. And then Italy a little later on. That number's dropped. It was minus 200 earlier. We got Italy at minus 192. Uh, games on Sunday, Netherlands minus 139 to win against the Czech Republic. And then Belgium and Portugal. Really looking forward to that one on Sunday. 2 p.m. start. Belgium, a slight favorite, plus 144. Draw, plus 217. And Portugal, plus 229. Other games, Monday, Croatia, Spain, France, Switzerland. And then Tuesday, the big one, 11 a.m., England and Germany. England, plus 166. Germany, plus 189. And the draw is plus 222. Sweden and Ukraine, Sweden considerable favorite plus 138 in that final game you can also go down and check the outrights latest odds to win the whole thing france plus 375 italy as plus 625 that's interesting they've sort of moved down a little bit but it does speak to where they are in the drop of a relatively generally easier path to get to the final four and then who knows what will happen and it's interesting england and germany the next two teams and they're playing each other in the round of 16 so one of those teams is going to be out you can get the cool bet for all of the odds on the games for the weekend and if you haven't played before use promo code wst will double your first deposit up to $200 with a 100% bonus just make sure you use the promo code wst all right, lots got in. It's been an awesome week so far. And man, next week going to be wild. Remo, a Stanley Cup final getting going. We'll have more of the NBA playoffs. And uh, uh, of course, Blue Jays continuing. A big win last night. Um, I bet them on the run line. Woke up after a nap. They were up 9 nothing. Easy peasy. Move on to uh, move on to hockey. Um, Jays definitely looking to continue their run. Um, need to put some wins together, and no better team to do that against Remo than the Baltimore Orioles, as we saw last night. Yeah, I mean Baltimore. I joked. I think I joked earlier that they're the only team with the worse bullpen than the Jays, and uh, it's not going so hot for them. So I know Guerrero's on top of the league, not going in the home run derby this year. So we know the show he put on before. But he wants to uh, use those days to rest. He's got the new bod, Huss. He's got to take care of it. Before, he was bigger. The, the new bod is working. Yeah, the new bod is working. He's going to be the MVP. It's definitely working. So there is that. We didn't touch on... Uh, there's a couple of things I wanted to touch on. Um, well, here, just while we're on baseball, quickly, yeah. let's touch on this. Uh, speaking of bullpens, um, yes, the Cubs bullpen got in. Uh, a team no-hitter last night, and... You know, there were so many pitchers used in this. The guy that finished off the no-hitter didn't even know that he was pitching for a no-hitter. Yeah, so uh, I think combined no-hitters, with the way bullpens are being used now, I think people are not taking them seriously. 
as no hitters, it's not a real no hitter. I mean, it used to be well, it's, any it's no like hitters fun. this year. It's all the spider tack. I mean, I, I, I honestly, we were getting a no hitter every three or four days, and people were wondering what's going on. Looked a little mm. closer, saw these spin rates, and all of a sudden it was a big problem. And now we've got the new era of stop and frisk baseball in the major leagues. Yeah, it's insane. So we'll wait and see how that continues. I don't know if anyone unbuckled their pants the other night, uh, but shout out to Zach Davies, uh, is that Ryan Tapera? Andrew Chafin and uh, Craig Kimbrell, a legendary closer with uh, three strikeouts to end the game. Didn't know. Didn't know. <laughs> Quote, comment of the day. As I look at that trophy in the background, Hef Chamilton, Remus should enter the home run derby. Damn right. Yes. He's 1-0. Undefeated. Never lost a home run derby in his life. I retire as champion Winnipeg Media All-Star Skills Competition 20, July 28, 2014. I think it's going to be the seven-year anniversary come up on July 20th. Oh, we, might we may have, to, have do... to have, uh, you know, we may have to have Westwood, Weeb, yeah. Andrew Collier on. I've, I do dreamed... a special show commemorating the Home Run Derby in 2014. I, I'm I, all over that. I dreamed of doing a 30 for 30 on it. Like, like the year after, like I was like, we need some of that footage. Um, <laughs> of when I beat Troy, you know, former CFL kicker Troy Westwood in an athletic competition in front of Thousands and thousands of fans at uh, Shaw Park. <laughs> Timmy Tushu, a Hasreem, have you guys invited Westy for a chat yet? Yeah, we absolutely have had. We have pretty much all the guys on. We've been waiting to have bombing on as we got closer to yeah. CFL season. We had him on this week, and uh, certainly those guys are welcome. Although we'll have yeah. to find, we'll have to grab Walby at some point. That's one regular yeah. as we get closer to the team that we haven't had debut on the program yet, and certainly a major, major fan favorite. Yes, uh, and... When people were asking about uh, Lawless in the chat. I know you want it. We tried to get him on during the playoffs, but just the timing because he's in Pacific time zone, the coach availability is always during when we're on. But now that Vegas is done, maybe we'll have some uh, some time. So we'll oh, have to keep, keep Gary, in touch. Gary, unless he will diva us, which he won't, uh, we'll have plenty of time for us now that the team is out. We'll we'll try and get something on a weekly or bi-weekly basis mm-hmm. with the lawmen coming and joining us on uh, on the program. Uh, have you been digging? Is this the unlikely? Like, well, I guess we don't have a final yet. But if the yeah. Islanders win tonight, will this be the most unlikeliest cup final since when? I still, if New York wins mm-hmm. tonight, I'm convinced that this might be the first time ever that both cup finalists, at least in the era where 16 teams mm-hmm. make the playoffs, were underdogs in all three series. Um, I, I could see one team doing it, but mm-hmm. both teams, I'm not sure that that's ever happened. The one that stuck out to me was Carolina Edmonton in 06, but Carolina was a two seed and they had made all those trades at the deadline. They got Doug Wade. I remember Mark yeah, Recchi. They weren't an underdog in they every were, series. They no were way. not. An, they were the two seed. So that doesn't count. I mean, it's always the one team that's the – there's always, like, the, the big powerhouse against the surprise team, and then sometimes you get, you know, the two favorites in there. Yeah, and but, you've had, we've had a few eight seeds, but, I mean, even, like, the Kings when they were the eight seed, by the time they got out of the first round, I'm not sure that they were still underdogs no, anymore. So, no. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that there's been two. Um, I mean, the Ducks in 03 – I mean, you think of the underdog teams, Ducks, Flames, but they'd always go up against that top opponent, Buffalo – when they made the final, but I mean, they had Hasek, so you knew that they were good. Uh, like the Panthers when they made the final, but that was against Colorado, who was, you know, they were, you know, up and coming team. So I can only go back so far. I know, you know, last like 30 or so years, maybe a bit more than that, but mm, I don't, I, I don't think, so. I mean, I'm trying to think of other sports as well. 
Uh, I remember everyone remembers that. Uh, what is it? The Rockets Knicks NBA final of like 94. Was it like after? Well, yeah, the, because that was when uh, that was retired. OJ. That was OJ. Yeah, yeah. Game six of the finals got moved to a tiny box as the uh, white Bronco chase happened down the, uh, yeah. down the highway in L.A. Now, I, I don't I, yeah. I, I'll <laughs> always remember that for the OJ chase more than actually what happened in the finals. But and then again, that was also during the two years where Michael Jordan was on mm-hmm. his timeout. His timeout. So uh, people are talking talking about that. I mean, thinking about other, you know, more unlikely cup finalists than Montreal. Uh, was there one other thing we want? To, no, I think I think we're we're pretty solid. I mean, I do want to give a shout out a couple of serious 25th anniversaries this week. Hus, I'm listening to a lot of wrestling podcasts, so the 25th anniversary of the NWO starting up. I want to give a shout oh, out to that. What and, an era! Uh, and then the 25th anniversary of Austin 316 winning the King of the Ring and giving Austin that... 316 says I just kicked your ass. Yeah, that's the 25th anniversary was this week of King of the Ring '96 where he won. I'm watching the you know. The legendary era of wrestling there, probably 96 to like 2000. And uh, 25th anniversary of the Nintendo 64 release. I don't know if you were a big fan of that, but that was also 1996. A lot of amazing games. And I have been seeing a lot of my Twitter timeline of a new Mario game. Mario Golf is out. And apparently yes. it is very good. And I, I'm tempted to uh, l- investigate getting a Nintendo Switch for this golf game. I, I'm a big fan of Mario Golf. Listen, just get on Steam, get PGA 2K21, and we can start going head-to-head and doing some golf streams as well. Trust me, mm-hmm. the Divot Derby is now on the game, which is just, I'm sure, like Mario Golf. It is amazing. I am uh, I fully endorse PGA 2K21. Uh, although, listen, I'm in for any golf game, and Mario Golf does look really fun. And I do know they've got something like the Divot Derby where it's some, some somewhat of a race, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm ready and waiting. I mean, I'm not going to challenge you in hockey because you'll kill me. But something like golf, I think we could have a lot of fun with it. Um, you know what I'd like? You know what would be a great way to finish this off, uh, the mm-hmm. show off today, Reem? I caught this yesterday. And listen, wives and girlfriends of you know professional players often are sort of quiet and try to stay out of mind. Uh, but in today's day and age, we see players active on social media, and it's always cool to see the loved ones of star players get out there on social media. Um, and, you know, and during the playoffs, we've seen, you know, some of the girls will wear their boyfriend's number. We've seen the Jets wives. They had those cool jackets. But our girl, Holly Jefferson, wife and better half of the defensive player of the year, one great cup champion, Willie Jefferson. I mean, to me, this is the most interesting family. I mean, we've talked to them both before, just incredible people, loquacious, their daughters. I mean, out of this world, cute. Um, Holly Jefferson went on Twitter yesterday, and Remo, I, how do we describe this? This is a, this is both a, a love letter for her husband, but also, I mean, a borderline WWE style promo warning anybody else in the league if they dare anoint anybody else in the league as the best defensive player in three down football. All right. So last week they announced. 2021 CFL season is official. It's going to begin, okay? August 5th is going down. It's the Grey Cup rematch, first and foremost, but I hope y'all ready. I hear a lot I hear a lot of you other teams talk about y'all got the best defensive player, but you don't, baby. If, if this jersey gonna say Willie Jefferson on it, like, what are you talking about? Y'all look really goofy out here. Who was defensive player of the year? 
who's the reigning defensive player of the year, Willie Jefferson. Not for just Winnipeg, Manitoba, but for the entire country of Canada. Stop it! We ready for some football. We ready. That's the sack chef in there. I'm the chef that keep him that big, but that's the sack chef. The land shark. And y'all saying y'all got the best D. Get, 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 get out of here. Stop it. That is the best. That is absolutely the best. Holly, you are the queen. Willie is the king. And Remo, we got a couple great nicknames out of that as well, in addition to the great entertainment. The Sack Chef, the Land Shark. Trust me, I will be uh, putting that into the bag of names for Willie Jefferson when we get going on this season. And uh, Holly's fired up. Bomber fans are fired up. we got a season coming on. And uh, that absolutely just made my day. And for folks out there looking for love, those are the couple goals you hear about. Holly and Willie, the king and queen of the peg and Sac City. You think there's another better defensive lineman in the league than Willie Jefferson? No chance. That guy is enormous. He's been in studio with us. I think he had to bend down to walk through the door. So that was a that was a solid promo. I was very yes. very into that. And tacos for uh, tacos for uh, our sandwiches. Um, can't wait for weather with Willie. We're working on that. We will definitely. We're going to try to get some game day forecasts for Willie coming up this season on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Should be a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, so, Remo, what's going on for the weekend? What are you? Uh, you got a, a table reserved for uh, for noon tomorrow when everything opens up? Okay, ten twelve oh five tonight. Uh, backyard beers, 10, 10 people, large gathering. A lar- uh, I'm probably going to try to fit in Costco. To, you know, they've got expanded capacity. But in all seriousness, uh, Friday and Sunday, I will be watching with my wife the uh, women's U.S. women's gymnastics Olympic trials. We'll be watching the goat Simone Biles. That is what is going on in my household. Uh, tune in. If you're not watching the hockey, tune in uh, tonight or Saturday or Sunday night on NBC. Probably now, Sunday do you night. have any do you have any intel on the Canadian gymnastics scene or yeah. are you just uh, no, you just my, follow Simone Biles? My wife is all over it. She was looking at the team that got nominated that got uh, named last week for gymnastics. Um, the one to watch, I know, is Ellie Black. She was the top one. And there was a girl from Brandon, actually, who was on the team last time, Isabella Anishko. Uh, if you want to have my wife to come in and break down gymnastics during the Olympics, um, she'd be gymnastics happy Gymnastics insider. Leah she's D, a, abs- she's absolutely. Listens to the podcast. Uh, I'm, I'm plugged in when it comes to gymnastics, I can tell you that. I can't wait for some of our Olympic correspondents. Um, that is a great idea. Yeah. Tell her she's booked, and uh, we'll definitely we'll, <laughs> well, de- we'll definitely make that happen. We're going to be talking about Simone Biles. I can tell you next month. Uh, she is maybe the greatest athlete of any sport ever. Like the level between her and the next person is a cavern. I mean, we talk about McDavid, but she is uh, beyond beyond elite. No, and uh, and you know what? She'll be uh, if she isn't already. Um, she will be one of the most marketable athletes in the world yes. by the time we get through Tokyo. And I got to tell you, the Uber Eats ads with her and that um, Jonathan dude are my favorite ads. Like with the the one where he talks about, uh, I think it's the the Splitsies or Splitskies ad. <laughs> I lost it so much. I very rarely do I go and seek out an ad to watch it again on YouTube, but I did with that one. Uh, it's great stuff. Yeah, we will be talking Simone Biles. And of course, all Olympic stuff. And I'll tell you what, great way to end the week. Um, it is official. Speaking of Queens, uh, we've got Holly and Willie in the football side of things. But when it comes to sports in this city, the queen is Des Scott. 
and she is going back to the Olympics as a member of Team Canada. And um, you know, there's a lot of things to to look at in the Olympic Games overall. But I can tell you, after what our women have done the last two events, especially in London. Um, maybe the thing that I am most excited about in all of the Olympics, I, I want to see Tyler Mislachuk go for the triathlon, but the women's soccer competition is going to be amazing. And our Canadian women's national team continues to make Canadians proud. And we'll see if they can get another medal when we get going. And uh, of course, Des still front and center as the destroyer in the Canadian midfield. Yeah. I remember just being so in on that 2012 um, women's soccer it was amazing to watch. I enjoyed it more, much more than the uh, the men. The rivalry between Canada and the U.S. Um, we will see what happens this year. I mean, I think they got two bronze in a row, Canada. So I will be tuned in. That'll be that'll be fun too. Cynthia, Cynthia, definitely. We uh, put something out to Des. Now they're overseas yeah. training, I believe, I sent, right now. I sent her an email. They're in Spain, so I'm not sure what if the timing will work out. But but, but trust me, we will have Des on at some point as soon as we can get her, and uh, we'll be cheering her and the girls on going forward. Um, great week of shows. I hope everyone's ready for the weekend, making some plans. Get out there, support our local restaurants. Of course, Boston mm-hmm. Pizzas are all open with expanded patios. Our friends at Little Brown Jug have the tap room and the patio open. If you haven't been there on William Avenue, just a great spot with some amazing beers. Go check that out. And uh, otherwise, Reem, we'll see uh, who the uh, Habs opponent is tonight after game number seven. Watch a little Euro soccer on the weekend and get back at it with the cup final beginning on Monday night. We'll tee it up on Monday's edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk. Yes, uh, definitely. So, yeah, I'll be tuned into that game tonight. And, yes, to go to your local restaurant. Don't go to any uh those national chains. Huh? So only yeah, go to don't local. use a gift card. Don't use a gift card either. Yeah. If you've got gift cards, um, you know, what you, what you want to do is save that for later and uh, give your server a nice tip yeah. because they probably have been uh, doing nothing for the last month. I, I've been holding on to some. I got some gift cards for, like, December 20, I guess, 19 that I still haven't used because I just don't feel don't feel right about it. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Keep them, uh, keep them, uh, keep them in the pocket for a little while longer. But yeah, let's get out there. Little Brown Jug, BP, your local spot. Um, and wherever you have, as I said, if you didn't have Little Brown Jug, try that summer lager. It is yeah. amazing. But uh, tap room's great. We're looking forward to getting out there. Uh, but all in all, um, it's been another great week. Thanks to everyone that's been with us. Hit that like button if you haven't already. We need to get a few more of those for today's show. Oh. And oh, Cynthia Betancourt rocking in with the super chat for the Portugal big game for Portugal, Cynthia. They're going up against Belgium. Belgium was my pick at the beginning of the of the tournament, uh, along with Germany. But and they're a favorite right now. But man, Cristiano Ronaldo looks great. I've seen a lot of props that have Ronaldo as the top scorer in the tournament. Uh, so that should be a good one. That is going to be a two o'clock game on Sunday afternoon. Of course, TSN has all of those games. So, uh, Cynthia, thank you very much for the super chat. Really do appreciate that. But yeah, folks, on the way out, hit that thumbs up button if you wouldn't mind. And if you haven't already, make sure you hit that red subscribe button. We'll be back on Monday with another edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Thanks as well to policyme.com. Don't procrastinate, folks. Get on that. Hit policyme.com. Let them know you heard about them through the podcast. Royal Sports, 
Nick and Nikki DQ. It's definitely blizzard weather. I might have to get a cake for a little uh, event tomorrow uh, for a birthday of a family member. I think we know where that to do that at DQ Manitoba. Uh, little Brown Jug. Many will be going down this weekend, uh, even on the golf course out at Breezy Bend. And don't forget, on Monday, we'll be launching a new social media contest for three days, giving away a great package from Little Brown Jug and Breezy Bend on Wednesday afternoon going into Canada Day. Shout out to Boston Pizza. We'll see you on the BP patio at some point this week, folks. Again, Little Brown Jug, Aikens Lake, Assiniboia Downs, back at it with live racing, but open tomorrow with the dining room as well. Can't wait for that. And um, we'll see when we get the VLTs and everything else open soon. But in the meantime, you can get out to Assiniboia Downs. But we'll have full fans, I would imagine, in the weeks to come. We'll have an update on that next week. And, of course, our picks for the duel at the Downs between myself and Michael Remus. All right, everyone. Have a great day. i got to run. I'm on in Calgary in an hour. If you are uh, if you want more hockey talk, I'll be jumping on with Steinberg and the boys from 4 to 7. Winnipeg time, you can listen to that online. And Lock Shop, new Lock Shop tonight is at 9 o'clock. If you haven't already checked out the work I do with Dustin Nielsen, make sure to uh, well, just go to where you get your podcast, punch in Lock Shop, or check it out on Twitter tonight. We'll stream that live at 9 p.m. For Michael Remus, I'm Andrew Patterson. Have a great reopening weekend, everybody. Thanks for being with us, and we'll see you on Monday right here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Oh, my God. Shut it down. Let's go home. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com. 